all right now. What seems to be your trouble? I feel depressed. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. Well, as they say on TV, the mere fact that you realize you need help indicates that you are not too far gone. I think we better pinpoint your fears. If we can find out what you're afraid of, we can label it. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hypengeophobia. I don't think that's quite it. How about cats? If you're afraid of cats, you have aleurophasia. Well, sort of, but I'm not sure. Are you afraid of staircases? If you are, then you have climacophobia. Maybe you have thalassophobia. This is fear of the ocean. Or chephorobia, which is the fear of crossing bridges. Or maybe you have pantophobia. Do you think you have pantophobia? What's pantophobia? The fear of everything. That's it! You know what does do very well in Next Day is shows, our shows like The Voice and Idol, those types, Dancing yeah. with the Stars, yeah. Tony. Shows like that. Dancing with the Stars. Tony, do you ever watch Dancing with the Stars taped? Yeah, I used to all the time, but um, now I have a uh, call-in show on one of our sister stations on yeah. Tuesday morning. So, whoa, whoa, I, wait a minute. What? You heard me. What was that? You you have a call-in? All right, explain that. This Can is Tony, our engineer, the Dancing with the Stars enthusiast. Yes, stars. an expert. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, not, expert first. <laughs> Can you mention a sister yes, station? Yes, yes, of course. Yes. 99.5 The Wolf. I call in every uh, Tuesday morning and talk with Skip and Lisa about the prior evening episode. I didn't know this. Yeah. Who's yeah. Skip and Lisa? Wake up with The Wolf Show. All right. 99.5. But uh, So what I try to do now is I actually have to prepare a little bit for that, so I can't watch it as much fun as I used to. You kind of got to... He's making money off this now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They're paying me a ton. <laughs> this is unbelievable. What I do oh, is... Oh, this, uh, this, this is another incredible chapter to the Tony <laughs> Dancing with the Stars thread. Was that Brett Mega? We're two ships passing. Or Scotty K. They're not here, are they? Dude, absolutely. Brett Mega and Scotty K are not here. Tony, which one's here? And I'm not mentoring them. Which I one? I can only mentor one at a time. What are you talking about? Which one's this? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tony. Fancy with the stars. Fancy with the stars. Fancy with the stars. I promise one of the two. Oh, and I'm not positive <laughs> But one of the two was just here in a Romo jersey, I promise you. I saw him stop down, move the microphone into place, and I knew something great was about to happen. What are you eating, Tony? Uh, the media lunch. It's a uh, baked potato with chicken on top, a bunch of toppings, and like a little pasta salad. A little uh, pasta salad. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. A spot. I was looking at the levels, though. So, so. Levels are good, Tony. <laughs> levels are good. Hi, everybody. This is the Ballroom Blitz. I am Tony the Engineer. Welcome back. Well, here we go. Episode 10 of the Ballroom Blitz covering week nine of Dancing with the Stars, season 30, 
which occurred on Monday night, November 15th. Now, this is the penultimate episode of the Ballroom Blitz. I always love that word, penultimate. Never knew what it meant, and I heard somebody use it one time, and I thought, well, it's got to be great. You know, it's the ultimate, and then pen, whatever that means in front of it. Maybe this is the biggest there is. And I thought, well, this is weird, though, because this is just another event, and there's still one after it, and so I had to look it up. And of course, it's next to last. So this is correct. This is the penultimate episode of the Ballroom Blitz. Next week will be our final one. So uh, this time of year, we get the old bittersweet feelings uh, creeping into my world. Uh, You know, the show's almost over. It's going to be a while before we see it again. Now, in the old days, it was much more sweet than bitter because things were different back then. You know, uh, everything was going great. The ratings were great. Tom was there. Um, we had a spring and a fall season, so we only had to wait like four months after the fall season. You know, the fall season's ending here at Thanksgiving, and then the spring season would always start up in mid-March, and then we had the holidays right after Thanksgiving, uh, the ending of the show. We had uh, the tour, usually a winter tour in January and February, and next thing you know, it's March. So there really wasn't that big a gap, and then same thing for the spring season to the fall season, about a four-month wait. Well, these days, unfortunately, it's much more bitter than the sweet part of it. Uh, You know, the ratings are bad. Uh, Tyra is bad. Tom is gone. Uh, The pros are kind of in flux. We've got uh, Val talking about retiring, Cheryl retiring, Uh, Whitney and Lindsay wanting more kids. Haven't seen PETA in a while. Sharna, we don't know what's going on there. She's not doing the tour, uh, at least so far. She's not scheduled to do the tour. And, you know, that's part of it. Pros come and go, um, and that's okay. But when you add that to everything else that's going on, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Lynn is pushing 78, the head judge. Will he want to keep doing it? And, of course, there is no uh, spring season anymore. So we've got to wait 10 whole months until – We had the fall season, so next September. Hopefully, there'll be a season 31. But, you know, you got to have hope. Uh, Even though the ratings are abysmal this season, uh, I looked it up. I couldn't believe it the other day. On ABC itself, Dancing with the Stars is still number one on the network. Now, they've come back to the pack. Don't get me wrong. There's three or four other shows that are all getting about four and a half million uh, viewers a show total. Uh, But uh, it's still number one. So... On ABC. So as long as ABC has the number one show on their network, I don't think they're going to get rid of it. So here's hoping that uh, season 31 comes back. And of course, we always can hope for changes. Uh, You know, I think we've seen enough of the Tyra experience. Uh, We're down about 22% in in viewership this season. That's just awful. (laughs) Five to seven to 10 is the normal loss of every show that's been, you know, around a while. Uh, I would love to think that the ABC executives might say, hey, we tried it. It didn't work. Let's try something different uh, because I just think this is going to be a sinking ship fast if they don't do something uh, now. And, of course, something should have been done before, not getting rid of Tom, but that's you know spilled milk. We can't talk about that uh, anymore. And next week, though, we're going to have a state of the show address on our final episode, and uh, I'll give you the lowdown of what I think is wrong with it and what we could possibly do to fix it. It's, it might have to be radical now, whereas a couple seasons ago, it would have been just you know fixing little things that needed to be fixed, but now we've got uh, gaping wounds that need to be sewn up and addressed. So we'll see how that goes in our state of the uh, show address next week. Also, in this show, we've got a special surprise. We're going to have an interview with the one and only Dan McDowell. 
He is uh, one of our ticket heroes, of course, the big nine weekday guys. And Dan is like the last bastion for me as far as hosts that are still embracing the bit quite a bit and actually bringing it to the air. You know, I do a show with Dan and Jake on the Hang Zone every Tuesday at 1220, our Dancing with the Stars Minute, where we uh, recap the previous night's episode and also have a giveaway for a trip on that show, too, as well as this one, which we'll talk about down the road again. Okay, well, it was semifinals on on, uh, Dancing with the Stars on Monday, and, uh, you know, I was super worried about this because it was going to be another double elimination, and the way they have the double elimination set up is they have a bottom three, and the bottom of the bottom, meaning (laughs) the very bottom of the scorecard, does not get the judges save. So that person goes home immediately. And then the other two get the judges save. Well, that one that goes home immediately, I was so afraid this week that it was going to be JoJo or Amanda, the two best dancers that we have this season. Um, And I guess we all know the results, so it doesn't hurt if I tell you. (laughs) It was neither one of them, so I was very thankful for that. But, of course, one of them was in the bottom two that was left over, and uh, that's what we'll get to down the road here. But let's look at the dances. Uh, There were two dances that night, as I said. One of them was going to be a redemption dance, and they've done this before in the past. It's when each couple gets to dance a dance style that they've already done earlier in the year, but it wasn't so great for whatever reason. Most of these dances occurred early in the season when everybody's still learning the ropes and all that. And each couple, there were six couples left on Monday, of course, was assigned a judge. And that judge came in and helped them with the redemption dance. They were giving them pointers as to what they needed to do to get better scores. And it's always been my opinion that if you have one of those judges come in and they're going to teach this celebrity how to do the new this dance, this redemptive dance, they shouldn't get allowed to vote uh, when it comes time to vote on the dance itself. There's a vested interest for them. You know, it looks bad if they go in and teach somebody and then they don't do well. It looks bad for the judge to give them a bad score because it's like they're kind of saying, well, I was a bad, bad teacher. So I think that's always a flaw, and it happened again this night where six or five of the six dances, the judge that was assigned to these people on the redemption dances, they gave them a 10. And it's just like so obvious, especially the dances where other judges are not giving 10s. And it's like, wow, how can this be more obvious that the judge who is teaching these people the redemption dance, they're going to give them a 10 when they do it. Uh, One of the many things I wish we could change on this show, but it's a small thing, so I need to move on, don't I? Okay, the first redemption dance was Cody, and he was doing a salsa. Bruno was their coach. Now, you know, I'm not a big fan of Cody. Uh, I think as a dancer that's had a lot of experience in his life, he should be just knocking it out of the park like Amanda and JoJo are, and he's not. And he's better. There's no doubt he's better than the initial start, and he had the rough start with COVID and everything. But When I watch him dance, and it's hard for me to describe it because I'm not a a judge, but it looks weird to me. It doesn't look like a pro dancer. He has weird facial expressions. His technique is still not very good for, my goodness, the semifinals. Uh, And like all these dances he does, I'm underwhelmed by them. I come away thinking, gosh, that just wasn't that good. Uh, And the judges actually agreed with me that tonight, uh, they gave him a total score of 35, two nines and two eights. And again, you should not be getting eights at this stage of the competition unless you're a poor dancer. And he, you know, I hate to say he's a poor dancer because he's not, but he's not up to the level of a couple of the other dancers that we have this season. 
And, uh, you know, the judges mentioned it. Uh, let's see, Derek said he had arm misses. Bruno said he, he messed up on a couple passes. Len said he looked fat, flat-footed. And, again, these are things you shouldn't be hearing in the semifinals. So uh, the only thing that's keeping him here, we all know, it's the Peloton Nation. It's his fan base. And uh, I expect him to be okay unless they just, you know, really low-ball score him. And I don't think they'll do that at this point. Uh, up next was Melora, and she did a rumba. And she got Len as her coach. Now, Len loves Melora. So I knew, again, this is one of those weird things. Why are you going to let Len vote for her? Because he's their coach now, and he loves her anyways. And, of course, Len gave her a 10, which was ridiculous. Nobody else gave her a 10. And that bothers me that Len buys into this. But I guess it's just human nature. They want to score someone well that they've trained because it might look bad on them. I don't know. But it was ridiculous that he gave her a 10. Again, it was a very good dance. Melora's a good dancer. Uh, she did have pretty good rhythmic movement in her hips, which is something you have to have in the, rum the rumba. And I love her myself. I, I want her to get to the finals because uh, not only for, I think she deserves it, number two, she would become the third oldest person to ever reach the finale. And uh, that's pretty impressive in my book. Uh, she, I heard her talking on, on somewhere off the show that she's lost like 12 pounds, I think. And she says, I've done nothing different as far as my diet and everything else, but just working that hard and everything. She looked great coming into the show, and she looks fantastic now, too. So that's the physical, though. But she's still a good dancer, but they gave her a score of 36. Len gave her a 10, like I said, was crazy. Uh, Bruno and Derek gave her nines. Carrie Ann gave her an eight because I think of a uh, lifting her toe off the ground. She's the lift police, we know. Up next was Suni. Uh, she was going to be doing a foxtrot for her redemption. Carrie Ann was their judge. Once again, guess who gave her a 10? <laughs> Only Carrie Ann. Again, a goofy, goofy thing here. But Carrie Ann came in and gave her all the pointers you know, she wanted her to do. And once again, the other judges saw, saw flaws still. Uh, Len said the footwork was an issue. Derek said the frame could have been better. Bruno said the frame could have been better. And of course, gush, uh, Carrie Ann gushes all over and gives her a 10. Again, another problem with this show with scoring that they need to fix but it's a small problem so let's move on i know i can't help myself can i, I keep going back to stuff like that up next is uh, jojo she did a argentine tango redemption uh, len was her coach too and you know jojo is always great uh, she's always in sync with jenna they do so many side by sides and they look so good together when they dance uh uh, Jojo does a lot of has to do a lot of lifting in this. That's normally the man's uh, you know job, but uh, we've talked about this. She's a little bigger than Jenna, and she's kind of taken over the male road I get, r role, I guess. But uh, her lifts are always very good. And you know, in general, Jojo is just kind of an athletic person that does it gracefully. And boy, what a great combination that is! And I don't know, maybe it's me being a guy, but the two gals dancing together is always sexy to me. So. Uh, the judges agreed. They thought it was perfect, and they gave her a score of 40, the perfect score. Up next, number five, Iman. He was doing a tango. Derek was his coach, and boy, what a great coach to have. Derek's the greatest of all. We know that. And they made a point to show that um, Derek was saying about his frame what he can do to help with that better. And little, little, uh, I guess, mind games or mind uh, vitamins 
you could call him, I think that's what we call Razor Ray, the guy on the ticket, the hockey guy. He has these mind vitamins that say really basic things in a really cool way to help you remember them. And he did that with, uh, Derek did that with Iman's shoulders. He was talking about doing a string and pulling it back and how much that would pull back your shoulders and, you know, visualize that. And he was really good uh, in the tango. It was, you know, that's your ballroom dance and uh, you got to be in hold. Still has hold issues, I believe, but uh, uh, he's always fun to watch too. But he's not that great of a dancer compared to JoJo and Amanda. But they score him like they do, like he is. And of course, here we go again with the craziness of Derek being their teacher. Guess what Derek gave him on? He gave him a ten. Again, how obvious is this, and why do we allow this kind of stuff? The other three judges gave him a nine for a total of thirty-seven. You can't get upset with that, except the silly ten again. That wasn't a ten dance. He still has technique issues. You know, he still has his shoulders up at, at times. Bruno t- said he was squatting at times in that dance, and uh, but they're scoring him so high now. He's you know probably going to either win this thing or Cody is because of their fan bases. Number six, Amanda. Uh, she was dancing a tango as her redemption, and Len was their coach judge. Uh, of course, Len gave her a 10, but everybody else pretty much did. Uh, Carrie Ann did not because of the uh, lift police again. Her foot came off the ground, but she got three tens and a nine for a 39. Uh, what can you say? Amanda's a good dancer. JoJo's a good dancer. They're going to have good scores. And uh, Amanda's really kind of come out of her shell a little bit the last couple of weeks with her emotions and uh Uh, expressing more and performing more. So I think she and JoJo are right there together at the top. And uh, that was kind of the redemption round then. So then they had their regular uh, dance. And Melora started that off with the contemporary. And boy, they really hit the contemporaries hard. It was really weird here for this last dance. They gave four contemporaries and a jazz, which is basically a contemporary. And that means it's a free-for-all. You don't have to have specific dance moves in it. I mean, you kind of do, but it's not nearly as specific as a ballroom dance like the tango where you have to do these kinds of movement. And uh, uh, I thought that was kind of weird. If you're going to do that, give it all. Give that that sixth person a contemporary or jazz too. But they didn't. So Melora had a contemporary. And like I said, it allows for most anything. And she's great at showing emotions. You know, the actress in her is coming out. And... Uh, it, again, this it's it's hard to say much bad about her. She's just a good dancer, and they gave her four nines for a thirty six. And uh, Cody was up next, and and I feel bad for Cody here because he did have to do a uh, ballroom dance or you know Latin dance, the Argentine tango, where you do have to be in, in hold and sometimes, and you do have to do certain things with your legs and certain movements that you have to have in that dance. Where everybody else in this final round got like I said, contemporary or jazz. So I didn't think that was. Very good for him to get that, but, uh, uh, you know, that's the way it is in the show. Uh, he did have a very nice silhouette pose to start off the Argentine tango, if you saw that. It looked very uh, tight and good, and it was just fun to see that. And then once the dance started, Cheryl just kind of seemed to take over. Uh, she did a lot of dancing around him. He did a lot of standing, which, again, is not good at this stage of the competition. It's not good anytime, but especially not now. And the judges all call him on it. But the next thing you know, they're giving him four nines. And this is a recipe for disaster as far as he's probably going to win this thing because you can't give a guy like that or that, that kind of dance nines, I don't think, especially four nines. But uh, they, they, they score high as we get into the finals, as we know. Up next was Suni with the contemporary. And uh, 
you know, another good dance from her. Uh, there's always kind of a split thing. It seems like they have a hard time giving her a perfect score of 40. Uh, but they ended up giving her a score of 38. And, you know, she relied on her gymnast uh, moves and technique a lot. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's her strength. Why not use it? Uh, but I think it almost became a little, uh, I don't know, samey, I guess, is what Lynn called it. Lynn Goodman called uh, there was a lot of gymnastic movements in the dance and it just was like repeating themselves over and over. They were great movements and she did them well. But like he said, you, you kind of, it was kind of a samey dance. I was, I was seeing the same movements throughout the dance and uh, he did not give her a 10. And I love that, you know, a 10 is supposed to be given for the best of the best. And this was very good dance again, but I didn't consider it a 10 and Lynn and Bruno did not consider it a 10. So again, a 38 for her. Uh, let's see. Number four up in this second round was JoJo. She was doing a contemporary also. And, uh, you know, she's lucky that she has Jenna as a partner, not only because they seem to mesh really well together, but Jenna is one of the great choreographers on this show. I would put her up with Daniela as the two best, probably, uh, of all the pros right now. And, and she brings great uh, choreography to every dance. And the contemporary, that really helps. And then JoJo always brings something extra, you know, and just her performance and her expressions. And, uh, you know, they're always in sync, too. So it was another great dance. What can you say about JoJo? She got a 40, and I think that was deserved. Up number five was uh, Iman, and he was doing a jazz that looked a lot like a contemporary, the look and the feel of it. So basically that's what it was. The thing about Iman is uh, – Again, they're going to he, he's got his own distinct movements and kind of swag, I guess you'd say. We've talked about that before. And uh whenever they get out of hold, you know, he does that movement and it's great and it's fun to watch, but it's it's doesn't seem like a ballroom kind of move. It seems like he's going out to the club and doing his thing. And that's okay, but this is a ballroom competition. Now again, with the contemporary or the jazz, you can get away with that. Uh, because you don't have specific moves that you have to do. But uh, with those contemporary and jazzes, you don't have a whole lot of technique to master or content. It's kind of free-for-all, and that helps him. And they gave him a score of 38. Uh, again, I think that was too high. I don't think it was a perfect 10 dance, but Carrie Ann and Derek did. Um, you know, he's the lift master. He's so great at coming up with these beautiful-looking lifts, and I know Daniela choreographs that, and... She's great because she's so strong and small that he can move her around very easily. And I even hesitate to say this, but he did like four or five more lifts than this. And I'm like, yeah, those are fantastic. But it's almost like, I don't want to say boring, but it's like, okay, we've seen you. We know you can lift good. Let's do something different. And, uh, you know, it's smart for Daniela probably because it does look great. And I think it, it, it sways the audience to vote for him. Uh, but as a technique person, I want them to try something different and show us a little something different. The judges have said that off and on throughout the season about surprise us, you know, wow us, and that'll get you a 10. And uh, even though these lifts are incredible, it's like I've seen a bunch of these already. Let's, let's try something else. Uh, last up in the second round was Amanda, and she was doing a contemporary. And boy, they showed the video edit of this of her husband who died from covid and at their wedding, and they were doing a song by him. And you talk about a tearjerker. Boy, this made everybody weep. And as good a dancer as she is, you knew this was going to be a 40 dance, and it was. 
and uh, very emotional, but I think it was very well-deserved too. It wasn't, she got that 40 because it was just an emotional field package. Uh, she's a great dancer. And uh, unless she would have fallen down or something strange would have happened, I think she was going to get a 40 and she did. So we add up the scores of the two dances for the night. JoJo has a perfect 80. Amanda has a 79 only because of that one lift that Carrie Ann took off a point. Then you have Iman at 75, Suni at 75, Melora at 72, and Cody at 71. So when you have a double elimination, you have the bottom three. So they add in the fan vote. And of course, we know what happens with Iman and Cody when they add in the fan vote. Phew, they jump right out of that bottom. So they're safe. And that means one of either Amanda or JoJo has to fall to the bottom. And sure enough, it was Amanda. So in the bottom three, we had Melora, Suni, and Amanda. You know, just highway robbery in my book, Who, because I want a legitimate champion. All three, three of those dancers were better than uh, Iman or are better Iman than Cody, in my opinion. But we knew one of them had to go immediately because it was the bottom three. And the, per, uh, the, bottom, the very bottom goes home in a bottom three. And that was Melora. So Melora Harden went home right away. And that left it up to Suni and Amanda. And uh, the judges unanimously decided to save Amanda. And Suni, the gymnast, went home. So Melora and Suni go home. Amanda and JoJo, Iman and Cody go to the finals next week. Okay, well, uh, why don't we do my final or our final top 10 list of the season? You know, uh, if you guys have been listening, you know I have my own personal halls of fame or uh, I, I call them halls of fame, but they're really basically a top 10 list. And uh, these are the ones that I never really wrote down. So it's been fun to revisit them. And this last top 10 is going to be the best. It's going to be the greatest dances ever on the show. Um, this is very subjective, of course. You know, uh, we all have our favorites. There's different things that make a dance favorite for each of us. So just remember, these are my opinions and my opinions only. So that's what we'll go with. Oh, there we go. Our last opinion alert of the season. <laughs> all right, we're done with that for the season. <laughs> but yes, these are just my opinions. And what I'm looking for is I want couple chemistry. You know, the couples have to seem to like each other and seem to get along well. Uh, it helps if I like the song that they're dancing to and wearing the outfits that they're wearing. That always helps. Just being a great dancer is a big part of it. You know, a lot of these people are in my top 10 male and females of all time because they can dance the heck out of a dance. And then I wanted to mention, too, that I could have had a list here of all Argentine tangos. That's my favorite dance style uh, of all the ones on the show. And I've got a list of 10 of those that I could have just said, here's my top 10 Argentine tangos, and they're my favorite dances. But no, there's a couple others that sprinkled in. But I decided to limit that. Uh, so we're only going to have three of my Argentine tangos in there, but they're all very high. And then also I did not include any freestyles. We did freestyles last week. They're kind of their own deal. And, uh, some of those freestyles would have creeped into my top 10 dances of all time too. So we wanted to leave those out and we wanted to leave the Argentine tangos out for the most part and just, uh, do a little variety here of some of my favorite dances. What I'm going to do too is I'm going to play audio of all these dances because, uh, it's going to be the judges telling you how they liked it because uh, I'm not going to break down each of their dances. It's already you already know I liked them, and the judges are much better at telling us why things are good or not because uh, that's what they do as judges. So my number ten greatest dance of all time is going way back to season five. It was Mel B, the Spice Girl, and her partner Max, and it was a Pasa Doble. 
And boy, she just dominated this dance. Usually the pasta doble is the male dance. The male is the one that dominates. And Mel B had an outfit on that was just, I think Bruno mentioned, it's kind of like a, um, a dominatrix or whatever. It was all in black and she had this leather skirt and it was kind of a bustier on top and it was showing off her top. And she just looked so fierceful and so forceful in this, which is what you do in an uh, a paso. And like I said, she kind of took over the male role, but I loved it and the judges love it. And let's see what they had to say. Yeah, sort of a gusty uh, studio. Let's see what the judges have to say. Len? Well, pass it doubly. I don't think I can pass a comment because <laughs> it, you had everything in it. Twist turns, chassis capes, flamenco. You moved across the floor. It had the passion, the aggression. That body's finally speaking. That was an adrenaline charge dominatrix, gut wrenching. My jaw was on the desk. Top that. Top that. Oh, about what the viewers think. Was that you backstage? You said that's all yeah. about what the viewers think? Well, to quote Max, I think you just kicked some serious booty. There you go. <laughs> you booty. All right. Well, they obviously liked it. And uh, there was a point there where Len just kind of quit talking because he liked it so much. And boy, you could hear Mel B's uh, breath. She was breathing so hard because that was such an intense dance. But uh, I loved it. The judges loved it. And this is going way back to season five. Mel B and Max's Paso Doble. Number nine on my list, uh, season 17, uh, what was her last name? Elizabeth. Elizabeth Berkeley. I think that was it. <laughs> I didn't write her last name down. I should know that. She was the one that was on the Saved by the Bell. I'm pretty sure it was Elizabeth Berkeley. But uh, her partner, Val, they did a cha-cha in season 17 that I thought was so sassy and so hot. Uh, absolutely loved it. And um, the judges loved it, too. She did a solo at the very beginning. And I can't remember what week of the season this was, but it wasn't deep into the season because she only finished in sixth place. She was one of the most wrong people, by the way. She should have finished a lot higher. But she did a solo at the beginning of this dance that was just so, I don't know, confident looking and sassy and, and, and really great. And uh, we'll let the judges tell you what they thought about it. time with me you brazen hussy you still got it big time it's all out there to be seen so sexy it just killed me give me the ice right now oh i tell you elizabeth apart from that it was so clean it was so sharp it was so well placed it was brilliant thank you You have been nothing but poised and graceful in accepting any criticisms. I see how hungry you are. You listen to everything. You apply it every week. You grow, you grow, you grow. Tonight, you were like a white panther. You were insane. I mean, that solo. I don't see other people doing solos that are like that at this stage. You have so much confidence. It shows you off. The partnering was incredible. You were so tight. And you're so tall. And it's way harder for you. And I, I lo loved it. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Want to make it unanimous? It's got to be unanimous. Okay. I tell you, you are 
a formidable partnership, I'm telling you. The more I see, the more I like. You're consistent. Whatever dance you get is always up there, I'm telling you. And your hips, whoa, hypnotic. Fabulous, well done. You need to peel right now. All right, well, they loved it too. I don't know if I told you it was a cha-cha. So uh, my number nine on the list, Elizabeth and Val's season 17 cha-cha. Uh, number eight on my list, and this is probably the dance that was lowest scored, or I'm sure it was, and it was because it was night one of a season. We're going to go back to season 24, the champion, Rashad Jennings, and his cha-cha-cha with uh, Emma, his partner. And I could even tell on that first night, I remember watching this. I was out of spring training, working the Normandy invasion. I was in the hotel room that night. This was night one. I'm sitting in my hotel chair, and I'm jumping out of my chair, fist pumping the air when I saw this dance. And this was week one. Rashad's cha-cha with her. And I just remember saying, that man's going to be in the finals. Not even see if everybody else or not, because I just thought he had his own movements, his groove and his swag. And then Emma and him seemed to hit it off great. This is one of my favorite dances, 24K by Bruno Mars. So that, that didn't hurt at all liking it, but uh, really loved it. And again, this was uh, night one. So they didn't, I think they all gave him, he might've got eights. I can't remember, which is all they're going to give you on night one. But here's the judges talking about that uh, dance with uh, Emmett and Rashad, their cha-cha season 24. Great stuff. Julianne. First of all, welcome back, Emma. Yes. Miss you so much. Second of all, that was the best dance of the night so far. what cha-cha is but you had your own groove and your flavor and everything and it was so good and all i have to say is i think you got the magic to make it all the way i'm just saying all right wow that really was the revelation of the night you were sparkling with star quality all the way through cool as a cucumber and on it all the way i can't believe what i've seen And you, as Julianne said, you have the magic, but most of all, you've now got all of our attention because that was killer. Killer, killer. Obviously, they liked it a lot too. And Julianne even said, and she she saw what I saw, I guess, that night one, that he has the stuff to go all the way. And uh, it was so impressive for a night one dan dance. So that's my number eight dance of all time. Rashad and Emma's season 24 cha-cha. Uh, number seven on my list, going back to season 10. This is quite a ways going back. <clears throat> it was Evan Lysacek and his partner Anna's Pasa Doble. I was a big fan of Evan. Uh, he wasn't going to win that season because of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I have to take a drink. <coughs> Sorry about that. <clears throat> he wasn't going to win that season because of Nicole Scherzinger, but Evan was a great dancer. He's an ice dancer, too, basically ice skater. So you knew he was going to be good. But I loved his Paso. I loved his Argentine tango. And I decided to put the Paso on this list because we've, we've got enough Argentine tangos on this list. But uh, this was a classic dance of the male dance. <clears throat> and he dominated it. Boy, it was just so forceful. Uh, I think Carrie Ann even mentions guttural here. We'll hear that. But... Uh, he dominated this so much, and he's got incredible body control. Now, that's from his ice skating, uh, of course, but I just loved it, and the judges did too, but let's see what they have to say about it. The smoke is still clearing. 
Plenty of attack, the best elevation we've seen in a Paso Doble this season. A Paso Doble with passion, and you go balls! Uh, okay, carry on. <laughs> yes, he does! Yeah. <laughs> Evan, oh my god. Normally your movements are so beautiful and so big, but tonight they were like from here yeah. and they're guttural and they're powerful and they're like, ah, yeah! yeah. <laughs> All right. I got that set. All right, Lem. Did my hair fall out? You know, the Paso Doble is the man's dance. The man should dominate. And it is so difficult for a celebrity guy to dominate these professionals. You did it. You came out attack, aggression, fantastic. All right, guys. Head on. Obviously, they all loved that. It was uh, quite a dance. And that is Evan and Anna's Paso Doble from season 10, my number seven dance of all time. Number six, going back to uh, season 16, this was Zendaya Coleman and Val. And Zendaya was that 16-year-old gal that was, at that time, was the youngest person in the history of the show. And she was just such a delight. Um, she kind of, you know, had that, I don't know, sunshine in her step every time she moved, a lot like Bindi Irwin did in season 21. It was just fun to watch her and everything she did. Well, they did a dance in season 16 that they called a hip-hop dance or a hip-hop style. And I'm thinking, oh boy, this isn't going to be good for me. And next thing you know, it's one of my favorite dances of all time. And it was because of her. Our partner Val did a great job in this too. They made a big deal out of that Val didn't know how to dance hip-hop. And so she was teaching him how to do it because she certainly had a lot of uh, dance experience coming into the show. But it was a blast to listen or watch. And uh, here's what uh, the judges had to say about it. You're gonna be kidding me. Just get out of here. I mean, come on, that was ridiculous. So cool, it gives me chills. So hip, you just were, I'm sorry, the word. You were just, oh, incredible. I tell you, I will give you a record deal. Do a song right now. I want to see all your videos. Zendaya forever. I'm gonna be your biggest number one yeah. fan, but hold on. Oh. Val, nice hey. job. Thank you. Thank you. you killed it. She, she told me everything I know. That was great. <laughs> well, that's what I like, Val. I like the attitude that you both came out with. It wasn't all crash bang intense. It, it, it had a cheekiness to it. It had a bit of fun Thank going you. on. There was great rhythm. I thought it was fantastic. Thank well, you. Congratulations. Yep. Quite a dance. Everyone liked it. And uh, it was cheeky, as Len said. It wasn't in your face uh, too much. It was just a fun thing that a, that a young woman would do or a young girl would do. Uh, Zendaya and Val's Hip Hop, my sixth greatest dance. Number five, going back to uh, season 18, James Maslow and his partner Peta, they did a cha-cha-cha. I think that's the third cha-cha-cha is on my list, too. I always liked those dances quite a bit. And uh, he did a takeoff of a Michael Jackson song, that was so cool, so slick. Uh, there was so much chemistry between James and Peta that season. And uh, there was so much content in this cha-cha. It was written all over it. I think Carrie Ann mentions this about, yeah, it was a Michael Jackson song, but it had James Maslow's uh, print on it. And uh, that's hard to do with Michael Jackson. So uh, this is the judge's comment, James and Peta's cha-cha-cha. Now we can go see what our judges have to say. Carrie Ann, focus. I'm sorry, I'm still like, <laughs> Wait, okay. I just 
<laughs> James, we've seen Michael Jackson a thousand times. It is really hard. And I'm surprised you decided to go this route because it's hard to pull off Michael Jackson well. What you did tonight was spectacular because you gave us Michael Jackson, James Maslow style, for Dancing with the Stars with cha-cha all over it. And that was, oh my God, it was so good. And ball, and go! Michael Jackson references, but you still kept plenty of cha-cha-cha content in there. Love those <laughs> syncopated Cuban breaks up on the top. It was a terrific number. Well done. Good job, my man. It was obvious that you put your heart and soul into that and that you took real care in doing everything you could to make it your best, and you did, and it was electrifying. to make it effortlessly cool and yet on fire. There was a bit, a bit of a smooth criminal here, a bit of bad there. <laughs> Overall, a thriller of a cha-cha-cha. There you go. All right, Bruno, he, he's, he's incomparable when it comes to how he uh, talks about the dances. That was a great explanation. And that was uh, James and Peter's season 18 cha-cha, my number five dance of all time. Let's go to number four. Back to uh, season 16, this is Kelly Pickler and her partner Derek's, here we go, Argentine Tango Run we got coming up. Uh, like I said, uh, I just have an affinity for this style, so it's, it's hard not to have a good one for me. Well, I shouldn't say that. You still have to have good technique and all that stuff. Of course, Derek's the master, and uh, Kelly Pickler was so unbelievable that season. Supposedly, she had not had any dance experience. They came out, this was a classic Argentine Tango look, all red and black. Uh, the lights, the clothes, they did a silhouette at the beginning with the two of them. And when you do that, you know, it, any imperfection or flaw is going to be noticeable. And I didn't see anything. Just thought this was such a sexy dance. This is uh, Kelly and Derek's Argentine Tango. And here's what the judges had to say. Look at him. This week, look at that smile on Len Goodman. I Listen, Kelly, what, what's happened in the past is of no consequence. The rest of the competition starts tonight. And I tell you, that was a mix of pride and joy. Pride in the technique. Thank you. Joy in the performance. Yeah. Shut up. Close the door. Call me Mary. That was fantastic. All right. to say welcome to the world of the sublime. <laughs> it really was. I'm telling you, that silhouette section, it was like watching two people becoming one. It was pure perfection. Then you came to dance. It was like watching Cheetah Rivera. I don't know if she was yeah, one of the yeah. greatest American dancers. Your, your split second turn is just incredible. It was superb, my darling. All right, carry on. nine weeks that you've been dancing? Man, absurd. Absurd that you can attain that level of perfection in silhouette where all we're looking at is exactly every line, every curve of your foot, every arch of your neck. It was just astounding. It was perfection. Thank you.
There you go. The judges obviously love that one, just falling all over themselves. But these are all very good dances, so uh, the judges are always going to have good things to say. But like I said, they're so good at explaining why it was so good. Uh, that was Kelly Pickler and Derek's Argentine Tango season, or uh, yeah, season sixteen. My number four dance of all time. Number three dance of all time. Another Argentine Tango going way back. Uh, season eight. And this was my number one dance for many, many seasons and years. I didn't know if this would ever be uh, uh, eclipsed, and I got two above it now. But uh, this was Gilles Marini, the uh, quintessential Latin lover. Uh, his look was amazing in this. And Cheryl, his partner. Uh, Argentine tango again. And, you know, Leno mentioned this, I think. The Argentine tango has has opposites. You have to be fast in some parts and slow in others, hard and soft movements, uh, loud and quiet things that you're doing in it. And Gilles was the expert at that. And here's what the judges had to say. <laughs> All right. We've been uh, giving Carrie Ann a chance to catch her breath. So we'll start with Len, actually. Len on this one. It was another fantastic performance. What I love about this dance and what I haven't seen till now, it's a mix. It's hard, soft, big, small, fast, slow. It's got drama, it's quiet, it's got passion, and you showed every element. Bruno! Ladies and gentlemen, what you have here is the quintessential Latin lover. <laughs> Tango with almost deadly animal magnetism <laughs> and ferocious intensity. Wow. Bravissimo. All right. Okay. I'm gonna get you a seat now. You're blushing. You are. I can't feel you're, my face. You're blushing. I don't, I don't even. Am I still here? Holy <laughs> cow. Jeez Louise. Mrs. Woohoo. Look at you. Okay, but on a serious note, the honest truth is in that number, I could not tell who was the professional and wow. who was the celebrity. Yeah, like Tom says, the ultimate tribute when you can't tell the pro from uh, the celebrity. But uh, Gilles Marini, he's a top 10 male all time for me, top five male of all time for me. So, uh, in fact, the next two, they're all top five in their respective categories, men or women. And uh, that makes sense. You know, they, they you, you get a style of dance I like. You get one of the greatest dancers that, that could do it. And then uh, they knock it out of the part. So that was Gilles and Cheryl's Argentine Tango, uh, my number three top, tip, ta oh, top 10 dance of all time. Okay, my number two top 10 greatest dances of all time is going back uh, not very far this time, season 27, Juan Pablo de Pache and his partner Cheryl. We just had Gilles and Cheryl as an Argentine tango way back in season eight. And here we have Juan Pablo and Cheryl in season 27, their Argentine tango. Uh, Juan Pablo is a top five male of all time for me. Should have won season 27. Of course, that was the Armageddon season we're going to get into in just a little bit. And their Argentine tango, this is just the quintessential by the book what I think you should do when you do an Argentine tango, at least from what I know about the dance. And here's what the judges had to say about it. Len, Len, you look like somebody drugged you over there. Well, I've got to stand up here. It was fantastic. It was a mix of care and flair. 
Blair in the dance, Hare in the technique. There you go. I just, that I will always remember, that Argentine tango, because it was truly fabulous. That's your boy. <laughs> Look at them beaming over here. Your mom and dad are beaming. Bruno's beaming. I, I, I honestly couldn't, I can't catch my breath. I, it really was extraordinary. It was smoldering, and yet it was the pure essence of an authentic Argentine tango. On top of that, that sequence of ganchos you did crazy. at the end, building up to that incredible finale is the best I have ever seen in four <laughs> since the show started. We never seen something like that. Here he is. performer weekly weekly delivering but tonight you outdid yourself in a way that I like there's no words that I could find that could do that justice what you just brought out here to me is like people that have been watching our show for 27 seasons I know that they along with me were blown away there was so much artistry passion you're in a class of your own my friend Thank you. Uh, well that pretty much says it all uh, he really was in a class by his own and as Bruno says some of the movements in there, best he's ever seen on the show. And of course, Len was falling all over it, which rarely happens. So uh, my number two dance of all time, uh, Juan Pablo and Cheryl's Argentine Tango, season two. Okay, well, here we go. The number one dance of all time. Now, this shocked me. Number one, it's because it's a style that normally doesn't do much for me. And number two, it's a trio dance. And normally, I just like one man and one woman out there impressing us as dancers. To me, that's what the dancing is supposed to be about. Now, they do have trio dances, don't get me wrong, and I like them, but I just didn't think it would ever be number one for me. Well, the number one dance for me is a trio dance going back to season 17. It's Corbin Blue, his partner Karina, and the third pro that was with them, Whitney, or the third person uh, was Whitney the pro. And they just did a dance that for me, encapsulated kind of like, I, I don't want to say old school ballroom, but it's kind of like it, but he had a, a, a kind of a tux on, but it really wasn't. He would, didn't have a shirt on, but he had a jacket on. It really wasn't a tux shirt, but it kind of reminded me of it. He had white pants on. Uh, the girls had uh, kind of a vest thing on that buttoned in the front and it showed off their top and they had these great pants on and high heels and gorgeous hair. It was just everything about this dance, the look the music, and then, of course, the choreography was just off the charts on this. I think Carrie Ann mentions that. And uh, listen to what Carrie Ann has to say. This kind of validated my choice as it being my favorite of all time. So uh, listen to what Carrie Ann has to say, and all the judges, of course. Two out of three judges standing. Let's see if that means anything. I suspect it might. Carrie Ann. I'm so excited to speak. <laughs> Papers. Bob Fosse, and no one ever does it as good as Bob Fosse. I think you did what Bob Fosse would have done today in this inning, and I think he would have loved you. I, that was just your undulations, every ounce of it, like it was Usher meets, meets the... Oh, did I say something wrong? The funny tap, and all, it was 
just, it was such an amazing combination of so many styles and showcased you in the most beautiful way. I'm sorry, girls, I didn't even see you let's, in the number. Let's bring. I, I'm sorry, I didn't. I, I couldn't help it. Right. I blew this my mind. Finger looking good. Ben, do you want to get into this question? Oh, well, uh, if I'm honest, I was hoping for fireworks, but t t for me, there was none. You came out and exploded! Oh, that oh, was an explosion! I'm telling you! Oh, it was ambitious! It was delicious! Sometimes it all comes together. The music, the routine, the performance into one fabulous whole. And that was it! Corbin, the magnificent. Way up! And I, I have to tell you, you see, for, gener for my generation, Bob Fosser was the absolute top. It's something that I always thought was unbeatable, and nobody kind of lived up to that kind of standard you did tonight. Well, pretty impressive stuff from the judges. Carrie Ann basically saying it was the greatest dance she'd seen in the 17 seasons of the show. Len Goodman really faked me out. I don't know if you heard him there at the at the top. He was like, well, I was expecting fireworks and I didn't really have that. It was an explosion. And he had me going. I thought, Len, you could not not have liked that. And uh, <laughs> of course, he was just kidding. Like he said, everything came together. The music, uh, the dancing, the choreography, the costumes. Just perfect. So that's my number one dance of all time. Corbin, Karina, and Whitney, their trio jazz dance, season 17. Okay, well, let's change gears here just a little bit because we have an important guest to get to right now. And without further ado, we're just going to get into it. Here's Dan McDowell. Now, I need to have the audience applause. We don't have that, do we? <laughs> do you add it in? <laughs> I don't know. We might be able to do that. But the, first of all, Dan, thank you for having me up here to the den. I've heard a lot about it, and it's uh, amazing to see you in person here. Yeah, do you want to say anything about it? What do you have? You know, it's great, number one. I am curious about the name. Um, I've kind of heard the den of iniquity, the den of inequality, and the dragon den. Is there any others I don't know about? Or uh, That sounds like just about it. How did it come up with three names, and you know, where did that come from? I, don't, I wasn't around for that, I guess. I didn't hear it. I think just because the den of iniquity is a, it's a term, right? You've heard that? Yep. And uh, then I guess I just get bored with saying the same thing over and over, so we turned it into inequality. Inequality, okay. And it kind of fits. All right. Because uh, we are superior to the female race. <laughs> okay. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, I think it's been called the Dragon Den because we live in the, the home of the dragon. That's what I figured. Okay, good. The land of the dragon. Yeah. Well, not that it matters because you're almost done, I guess. But my vote is for Den of Inequity. I think that fits you a little better. Okay. I went to a club called Iniquity once. I'll bet you did. And it was a swingers club. Oh. And so, I don't know. This this Was your lady no, with in you? In fact, you? like most things in my early life or middle life, it was all ticket related. If you remember old Big Dick Hunter, the nighttime host. He, I certainly do. He uh, would frequent through the station, the station would advertise gentlemen's clubs and various places, and he would go to them for appearances. And uh, he and I, well, not me, but the promo crew, which was me and two ticket chicks at the time, we went to a place called Texas Showgirls one night. And it's a defunct club, used to be on Restaurant Row. And his guest that night was Ron Jeremy. I don't know if you know that name or not. I certainly do. And 
I associate it with Big Dick Hunter show. Okay. Uh, anyways, we went to that, and it was just crazy. You know, I loved Big Dick Hunter because he was, you know, he was a ticket host, so he was kind of a hero of mine. And uh, he would talk to you. <laughs> and in the early days, any of these guys that would talk to me on air, it was like, wow, they acknowledge my existence, number one. Well, he came over at the end of that appearance, about 840. I think it was a seven to nine appearance. I'm here with two ticket chicks. And he says, uh, hey, Ron and I and his crew, we're going down to iniquity down the street. You guys want to come along? And and so, sh- of course, you do. My eyes probably just jumped out of their sockets. I look at the two ticket chicks. And I don't even know if they knew what it was. It was kind of like, is this a club or something? Yeah, yeah. We need to go. And they said, okay, we're going. So the three of us were going to go. And Big Dick says, well, you know, we're going to be in a limo, so there's not enough room for you guys. But get in your cars, come down, tell us you're you're with the station, everything will be cool. And I was just, like, beside myself. I can't believe this is going to happen. So uh, we get down there, and, of course, they get there first, and they go on in. I'm walking up with the two ticket shakes because we got to go park in the back. And I open the door for them, and there's four or five other people uh, behind me, and I let them in. And so this is kind of a – there we go, different volume there. little tiny. I'm just trying to equalize you and me. There we go. You're doing all the engineering. I want to be equal today. This is great. So we get into this little holding area. Does it still sound okay to you? Yeah, it's great. Okay. I think it's great. And the two ticket shakes go in. And I have all these people between us because I opened the door for them. I get to the coat check lady or the cover lady, and I say, you know, I'm with the ticket. And oh, they just went in. Yeah, go ahead. Get to the second door. There's this big, beefy guy, barrel-chested guy with his hands over his chest. No unescorted men. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I'm with the ticket radio station that just came in a little while ago. No unescorted men. And he's not smiling. He's not budging. You know, and I'm like... You weren't with the ticket chicks? Well, they had gone in because I had opened the door for them, and then there was some other people behind them. Uh, and they They'll w- let un- uh, unescorted women in. Yes, of course. Yeah. And uh, I said, no, those two girls, they had the uniform on, see, and I was showing them my ticket label. I'm like, I'm with that crew, and he wasn't budging. So I go back to the coat check lady or the cover lady. No, I don't control him. I'm sorry, man. He, he, he controls that door. And I'm thinking I just lost my only chance ever to go to a club like this. You know, there are no cell phones or anything. This is early 2000s. At least I didn't have one. And so I don't know how it happened, but one of the ticket chicks poked her head back out of the first door, and she saw me, and I'm waving at her. I'm like, he won't let me in. Say you're with me or whatever. And finally got in, and then it was just like, wow. So you need to call this place Den of Iniquity. Okay. (laughs) I will do it for you. There you go. Okay, well. You know, I don't want to bore you here, but I think people that are listening to this want to know about you. And I know a lot of us do. I read the book, and I kind of know the story somewhat. Would you mind telling us just a little bit briefly how you got to the ticket? You know, you grew up, you went to college, you worked in Ohio for a little while. How did all that happen, and then uh, how did you get to come down here? Um, yeah, I grew up. <laughs> I did go to college in Ohio. In which, which, Athens, Ohio, which is southern Ohio. It's south uh, eastern Ohio, I guess. Yep. And um, worked as a sales guy slash play-by-play guy. I got a job. My first job out of school was at WATH in Mary. Uh, ATH was Athens, sorry. WMOA in Marietta, Ohio, which is also southeastern Ohio. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to be a play-by-play guy. 
That was my goal, to do baseball play-by-play. All right. And they opened up a little satellite station called WJAW, which was named after the owner was John A. Worf. All right. He was the longtime voice of the Buckeyes in Columbus, a play-by-play guy himself, and they did a ton of high school play-by-play for area teams. And so I figured if I get a job as a sales guy there, but just show that I this is what I want to do, I might get my foot in the door and do some play-by-play. So I did. And uh, after I was there for a few months and they opened up this WJAW and I got my first ever contract. He said, I want you to sign a year-long contract huh. to uh, start up WJAW. Uh, the, it was located in a place called McConnellsville, Ohio which was a very small town. And uh, that was a station that was about the size of this den of iniquity. Mm-hmm. My above the garage uh, little studio apartment that I live in here yeah. is uh, the station was located there, but they simulcast with the Marietta station, which was 45 minutes away, 30 minutes away, whatever. And in the morning I would get up and do a, uh, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., and 8 a.m. newscast. And then I would do news and sports, you know, just as a quick hit on the simulcast of the Marietta station. And then at night, he said I could do play-by-play. And I did the uh, Morgan High School uh, Raiders football games, and I could do all the baseball or basketball that I wanted as long as I sold a certain amount of sponsorships for the game. Okay. And I think that might have been there were 10 avails, so we, we could sell 10 uh, ads, you would. I would sell a local store, the feed store, uh, for a hundred dollars. You can get four ads in tonight's game. All right. And if I sold, right. I think I had to sell seven of those. So if I could uh, clear seven hundred bucks for the for the boss, I could announce the game. So that was my motivation. Sure. My mo- I wanted to be a sports uh, broadcaster. They wanted to make money. I didn't want to be a sales guy, but in order to do the games, I had to sell the spots. Sure, yeah. So I did that. And I could do baseball, like I said, whatever I wanted. Um, so I did that for a while. Then I went to Athens, Ohio, and uh, went and worked somewhere at WATH, doing the very similar things, selling and uh, doing play-by-play, until I pretty much got fired because I was on the air there, they would also have me on their FM Wacky Morning Show. Okay. So they had an FM Wacky Morning Show. <laughs> and uh, they would invite the sports guy on to talk about that weekend's games. And one Friday morning, I told him, uh, tonight we've got a uh, a game. It was a basketball game coming up against the, uh, the scummy Trimble Tomcats. And I referred to this town as scummy. Well, this is actually an area, it's very, very uh, depressed it's very uh, poor. You know, it's like the backwoods. It's Appalachia. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even when you know that you are downtrodden and poor, you don't like other people to tell you that. And I didn't mean it as that. I just meant it as they're our rival. Sure. We don't like them. We want to beat them. Yeah. And really, I didn't care, but I was the announcer for Athens. Well, some parent mom got a, a hold of this information that the guy on the FM station in Athens uh, said they were scummy. And so now complaints, we're going to boycott some you know business that's on your station, whatever, just a lot of threats. 
and they called me in and said, you know, this is a big situation. We're going to suspend you for tonight's game. Mm. And uh, we, we want you to apologize to the team. So I had to go in to the uh, Trimble locker room before the game and apologize to a bunch of high school kids who had no idea who I was, who didn't care that I had said that they were scummy, uh, but it was to appease the parent that that wanted then the station didn't want her to start calling our clients and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and i never did another game really they told me if i apologize everything would be fine but then it kind of wasn't fine and i kind of didn't want to s- sell ads anymore and i was kind of and so after doing that i i was kind of tired of doing this play-by-play for high school and it was just very redundant you never it was not creative at all you just interview the coach you know, do the game, do the post game, do it again next week. I yeah. don't know. It just seemed I didn't want to be a play-by-play guy anymore. Got it. But I figured um, <clears throat> there was a – and I didn't want to sell. I hated selling. Mm-hmm. And I uh, – the FM guy, the Wacky Morning Show, was not funny at all. He thought he was funny. And, uh, you know, he had a job where he just – got to leave at 10 a.m. and never come back again until the next morning. He didn't have to sell ads in order to justify his existence. And I thought, if this guy, who really has nothing, can get a job as an FM DJ and do a comedy-based morning show, I can. there's got to be a job out there for me where I don't have to sell. So my only goal was to get a job not selling, which I did in Zanesville, Ohio, at a station where I worked uh, – on a morning show with a girl named Michelle and uh, she would also often call us mad in the morning. So like bad radio, it <laughs> okay. was Michelle and Dan uh-huh. and Michelle had a fake eye, which was very obvious because she um, didn't clean it very often. Apparently Ooh. you were supposed to clean it now and again. And it was very cloudy brown. I guess she had a brown eye if you want to be hilarious about it. Maybe she had two, I suppose, right? She okay. had two brown eyes, if you want to look at it that way. So anyway, I did a radio show there for, uh, I don't know if it was a year, eight months, something like that. And from there, I heard about a station that was starting up in Cleveland called uh, WHK. And it was very soon after the ticket was born. So the ticket was one of the first all sports stations in the United States. But after the ticket was born, others started to pop up across the U.S., like seeing this great success that's happening down here. Mm -hmm. Why can't our town have an all sports station? And so that's what happened in Cleveland. And I had a friend who had a friend who worked in sales at this station and said, hey, they're looking for people. So I uh, headed up to Cleveland and moved into my mom's basement with the goal of, I want to work there. And I got a job there. They could only, you know, officially pay me for 15 hours a week or 20 or something like that. But I was there all the time. You know, I had nothing, no ties or anything, no women, no woman or, you know, whatever. Sure. So how'd you get it? Did you just walk in and say, I hear you're, I hear you're hiring? Uh, well, the guy I knew who knew a guy who was the sales guy, that guy set me up okay. with somebody who was hiring. Perfect. So you do right. have to know someone yeah. in a sense. Now that didn't get me any more than in that door, right. but at least it got me in that door. Cause if you just mail 
uh, male resumes or male tapes, it's very hit or miss. I've seen, you know, I've seen program directors just show me their stack of things they never look at at all. Um, so it got me in the door and since I was, you know, Steve recommended at least to talk to me and told him my background. And so I got on as a part-time board up and then I became, I guess the mino or the grooves of that station. Uh I was the board up, um, that was playing funny drops and all that kind of stuff. And then I got to do a weekend show there, um, talking Indians baseball or something and, uh, you know, just, I liked bits and all that kind of stuff. And so now that station ended up closing down after a couple of years. So I was there in the mid nineties when the Indians were in the world series yeah. and when the Browns left Cleveland, mm-hmm. I was there that covering that stuff. I was there with Bill Belichick as the Browns coach. Wow. And, uh, then our station got sold to a religious broadcaster. And so they're going to change format. Mm-hmm. So a couple of the sales guys that I got to know there, they were buying a small station in Warren, Ohio, which is right next to Youngstown. If we call this Dallas-Fort Worth, they call that uh, the Warren-Youngstown area. Okay. So it, But Warren is the smaller of the two. Youngstown is the bigger things. But that is in northeast Ohio, high northeast. It's like right real close to Pennsylvania. You can get there in less than 20 minutes. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so this station was kind of a startup, or it, it existed, but it wasn't talk or anything. It was just, I don't know, even know what they did, W-A-T-H, or excuse me, W-R-R-O, I think it was, Warren, Ohio. And so uh, these two sales guys bought that and said, we're going to hire you as our program director. Okay. My first ever contract, which I never uh, followed up on back in McConnellsville, it was $1,000 a month and uh, a free apartment because the apartment Gosh. I lived in was above a sewing shop, and that's where yeah. the station broadcast. Well, you know, I heard this story when I read the book, yeah. and I don't know if you remember. You wouldn't, but I, I went up there. I, I go up there anyways. There's a wildlife place in southeastern Ohio called The Wilds, and I always go up there. And uh, I went and visited McConnellsville, and I sent you the picture. And oh, I that's said, right. I think some time ago. Yeah, long, six, seven years ago, I think. Yeah. And I was going to look for the station, and I, like you said, it was so small, and I don't even know if there was any advertising on it or anything, so I, I didn't find anything. But. Yeah, we had a sign in the window. That's <laughs> okay. about it. I don't even know if, if it exists. <laughs> I think it might. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> but that's a WJAW mug right over there, John A. Wharf. Oh, look at that. Lost from the past, yeah. Um. <laughs> So now I'm in uh, Warren, Ohio, and I was the PD. I was the program director. Uh-huh. And he said, you know, we want to do this on the real cheap, but we wanted to try and do an all-talk station. So what can we do? So we had a guy who was a full-time landscaper, but he was <laughs> uh, really into sports. And uh, we got him for the afternoon drive shift. Wow. Got someone else for the, uh, you know, a local guy who talked politics for like 10 to noon did you hire these guys as a program director yeah i was heavily involved mm-hmm. nice and um i thought in order to move up in radio in the radio world because i want you know i knew this isn't my final stop but i also knew um if somebody is out there listening and wanting you know if they're hearing somebody in this small station if he's on at noon or on in the afternoon, they won't be impressed that the morning is where it's at. So in order to get ahead, and I didn't like mornings very much. 
I'm I'm more of a morning person now, but I'm not really a real get up that early guy. So I put myself in the morning show. So it was me and another guy that I uh, came, I brought with Cleve from Cleveland with me. His name is Joe, and he works for the Cavs now. If you've ever heard to me refer to my friend Joe for the Cavs, yeah. he's worked there for like twenty years. All right. <clears throat> but he ran the board and was slash producer, I guess. And so I worked with him or worked there uh, doing a morning show and worked there for about a year, year and a half. And when someone actually called me one day and it actually worked, he said, hey, I'm from uh, Dayton and uh, was driving around Youngstown and heard your show and we are going to have an opening. Would you come up here? And do a tryout show on uh, this coming Friday. So that Friday, I did my morning show in Youngstown or Warren and drove to Dayton and then did a tryout show. That's very impressive that some guy just driving around listening to you for probably a pretty brief time got that favorable impression of you. I'm very happy that it happened. <laughs> yeah. So that was my, if you say a big break, it yep. felt like a break to me because now I moved from Warren to... Dayton, which is, you know, more, it's a bigger market for sure. It was like a real station. It was, uh, I can't remember the call letters right now. That'll come back to me at some point. Mm -hmm. Probably WHIO. Sorry, WHIO. WHIO. Okay. And uh, it was a fairly big station. It was the biggest station in Dayton, and it was news talk. uh, But he didn't want me to talk any sports at all. In fact, they would tell us, research shows, and he'd show me a page of research, sports is death. Huh. That was their famous saying, sports uh-huh. is death. Okay. So I did work in some sports if they were, you know, they had a local hockey team or they had a downtown stadium they were trying to build, I could work it in somehow. Um, but basically they said sports is death, no sports. So that was what I did. Yeah, did they have the Dayton Flyers? Weren't they a hockey team? Yeah, that's where... We would cover the Dayton Flyers. Yeah, because they would play New Fort Wayne Comets, and I grew up in northern Indiana, and the Muskegon something in Michigan. The Airmen? Yeah, I can't. I lose track, but I don't even remember what the name of the league was, but uh, okay. I certainly remember Dayton. Uh, yeah. So from there, I sent out, after working there a year, year and a half, I sent out a ton of resumes and tapes. And um, the reason I sent one to Dallas eventually was that uh, a buddy told me a guy I'd worked with in Cleveland said, "Hey, I sent a. There's this opening in Dallas, and it was 1999. And he goes, I didn't get it, but the guy called me back and he told me what he didn't like about my tape, and what I could work on. And he goes, you should send one there at the very least, because this is the worst thing about sending tapes and uh, resumes is you just don't hear anything back ever. Yep. You get no feedback." So no one, I assume no one ever even listened to these tapes at all. The way I learned how to make a resume tape, this is when I lived, I don't know if it was McConnellsville or or, uh, Warren, or if it was even in Dayton, and I wanted to figure out how to make a resume tape that that would pop. There was a magazine, or maybe early websites, which was like radio.com, and it would list... Um, it would list openings, and it would just say mid-market um, sports talk opening. Send tape and resume to, and it would give a P.O. box. Hmm. 
So I bought an ad. My mom had a P.O. box in Cleveland. I bought an ad and said, I, I described what I wanted to work for. And I don't remember if it was mid-market or large market or something. It was mid-market, you know, uh, talk show, blah, 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 uh, send tape and resume. I bought that ad and put it in there with my mom's PO address. And I got 100 tapes and resumes. Oh, my gosh. So I could see what everyone else's resume looked like and what their tapes sounded like. And Uh, so I kind of copied the best of those. Ingenious. So although it didn't – that's not what got me the return, you know. So Mm -hmm. it seems genius. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a great idea, but it didn't pay off. It, what paid off is this friend of mine said, I sent something, and that was Bruce Gilbert. Yeah. I don't know if you know Bruce. Uh, sure, yeah. He works at the station mm-hmm. still, or yeah. back. He's come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so he responded and said, hey, I like your tape. Uh, send me more. Send me something else. Send me like a full thing, not just like little clips. Wow. So I sent him. Um, back then, I weighed about 245. Right now, I'm... I think I'm down still in the uh, around 175, 180. Wow. But I weighed 245 back then. And my my uh, general manager at my station in Dayton had bet I couldn't run a mile in under 10 minutes. <laughs> so we went and broadcast from the local track uh, me running a mile in trying to run a mile in 10 minutes. And I sent this to Bruce. Perfect. And that's what he, he liked that a lot. Yeah. Like he's like, that's oh, so tickets. And yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't have sports to send him. We didn't talk sports. Mm-hmm. So I sent him that. And he never asked me anything about what I know about sports or anything like that, which I found pretty odd to yeah. go work at a sports station. But he called me again and said, I'm going to be in Indianapolis next week. You want to meet me there for lunch? And that was a couple hour drive from Dayton. And I'm like, of course. So I met him there, and I remember him asking, you know, a few questions while we were having lunch, and he was like, so what kind of voices do you do? What kind of characters? And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I'm not going to get this job because uh-huh. nothing. I go, not, I don't have anything. I don't really do, you know. He's like, oh, okay, I just wanted to know. But he never <laughs> asked me about sports, but he asked if I do characters and voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so anyway, I ended up getting that job, <laughs> this job with the ticket. So the Keith there was – a buddy of yours was rejected by Bruce. Right. And then he said, hey, go ahead and send it to him. And He goes, at the very worst, you're going to get feedback. Yeah. And yeah. so I just wanted feedback, and I wanted a pro, a guy in a top market yeah. to say, oh, you could do this, this, and this better. Very fascinating, yeah. Awesome. So you come down here, and did they tell you that you will have a partner, or did they tell you what you were going to do, or did you just get hired in because they needed people? Well, Somewhere in the process, because I had been doing my own show for quite some time, they did say, we want to pair you up with another guy. And they flew me down for a test weekend. I don't know if you've ever heard us play this audio. But me and, and so I met Bob. I don't think so. They flew me down on a Friday. I met Bob. I think there was a hockey game we went to together on a Saturday (laughs) where he likes to tell the story of me just pounding beers, which I probably did. And, uh... Sunday we did a show together and it was just a two or three hour show and I remember talking about some Star Wars movie that was debuting and talking about some sports and using a different name I used the name Dan Lieberman 
in case somehow this, that no. that had got back to if that got back to you know Dayton mm-hmm. somehow and I didn't get this Dallas job then I I didn't want that to happen. Yeah. Although if you've heard my voice you'd probably figure out that I'm the same guy. Pretty distinct, yeah. But uh no, that was an amazing weekend and so I had never met Bob before that moment mm-hmm. and they just decided to they just said, "Yeah, this is the guy we want to pair you up with." And I guess things went well enough. Yeah. On that weekend tryout that he called me later that week and said, "Yeah, want to offer you the job." And Fantastic. Wasn't really in the lot of negotiation. It was just yeah. like, "Yes." Do you know, have you talked with Bob? Did they ask Bob his opinion of you since he had been there, what, a few months before you, right? He Wasn't he there in 98? Yeah, he was there a year ahead, <clears throat> starting in the uh, summer of 98, and I got there in the spring of 99. Yeah, I just remember the Bob Sturm show at night all the time. Yeah, so he had about a six-month run, I think. Do you know, did they ask him what, they, what he thought of you, I guess? I think so, yeah. and I think he was much in the same position as of me as as me by saying, you know, he wanted a full-time gig and a daytime slot, and he was pretty much going to say okay mm-hmm. to whatever Bruce yeah. suggested. He had his thoughts, sure, and he's told me, I think, his thoughts were I was not the best choice because, mm-hmm. you know, he was filling in with Followell, and he, there was other guys here at the station, Kevin Scott, that he got along with real well. And, yeah. Um, here's this guy from somewhere who – he wasn't sure about who drank a lot of beer and you know he's didn't really know anything about hockey and all this and but i think he was pretty happy just he was going to say yes to just about whatever they threw sure sure and so was i yeah i was not in a position to say i'm not working with this guy yeah so Um, bruce was bruce gilbert's kind of the linchpin to all this without him who knows where you would have be oh for sure he's my savior i love bruce gilbert i bet you do because he you know he believed in us and he was very he was very positive as far as the early days. We knew, you know, we didn't have anything really good going on. And um, we would do like a, a small poll. Like we'd take a few calls like, uh, let's ta- judge your, let's take your temperature on Dak today or whatever it would be. Not Dak back then. Dak was a baby. But, you know, and then we'd, we we were like, all right, this is, we're going to call it the tadpole. Like, because a tadpole is little. And then after the show, he's like, oh, tadpole, great idea, great bit. And I'm thinking, it's not. It's not a good idea. But he was so positive, and he was like, man, come on, man. You're in the top five market. You're on the radio in a top five market. Doesn't it feel good? Like, he made you go home feeling like a million dollars every day, uh-huh. as if you just killed it. <laughs> and we didn't. Yeah. Um, so I, I credit him a lot. Yeah. And I credit Bob a, a huge, huge amount. Like, I, I don't know if we would have survived without Bruce at that point in our careers and I don't know if I would have made it without Bob either because he was he was a very uh although it seems like we're very different people we were very much the same growing up as far as we're both just sports nerds wanted to be play-by-play guys fell into this and somehow ended up at the ticket and we were he and I were both the outsiders so we had all these guys that were so into the hard line and the musers and you know, they were already, it was, they were only on the air five years, but at that time, to me, that seemed like forever, because mm-hmm. I had never stayed anywhere past a year, maybe a year and a half. Yeah. And I'm like, five years? And he, again, he he was my guy that was like me. He was also an outsider, so we're trying to create something that fit in here, but wasn't copying them, you know? So just little sure. things like, 
Expo would run music under, uh, if Mike started talking about something that was not sports, he'd run music. So if he had a story about going to a concert or something, it, it, there'd just be a music bed. So little things like we'd tell Expo, well, don't do that for us. Yeah. You know, or just let's just try What's and change it up. Yeah. We, we want to fit in here, but we don't want to be copying everybody here. How about the name? Was it from the Mad Thing back in Ohio? Did you come up with it? How, who came up with Bad Radio? I th- I actually think it was Expo. We were really a, we went to the Rangers game the weekend before we first went on the air. It was June fourteenth, nineteen ninety nine, and I think that weekend we went to a Rangers game. And I'm pretty sure Expo came up with uh, the name Bad. You can check with Bob or Expo, but hmm. um, I did not come up with it at all. Very cool, but. It, Seems in retrospect pretty easy. Yeah, sure. That's why I thought you might have suggested it since the lady was suggested mad, didn't she, wherever you yeah, were? Yeah, but I did not. Okay. Now, we'll just skip forward quite a bit here. I'm just curious, though. Man, I've been quite a bit. Was there a point, a specific point, or maybe just a gradual time where you're like, Bob and I are going to make it. You know, we're going we're gonna to be all right. Or were you nervous the whole time, or did you know right away you guys were going to click? Uh, I'm just curious if there was a specific time where, I don't want to say it eased up, but you felt a little more comfortable maybe and wasn't worrying about, am I going to be able to stay here in this big market? Um, that's hard to say yeah. for just to pinpoint a specific time. Sure. I do remember for years us feeling just whenever we would go to a Super Bowl uh, team dinner, and you've been at these, right? Yeah. And it's very cool. But it was like everything that anybody ever talked about as the good days were before we got there. Yeah. And there was a point where that shifted. I don't know if it was when me and Bob almost left. I don't know if it was the 20-year anniversary of the ticket, which means we were there for 15 years. yeah, that's a long time. that, That we finally said, now it seems like, like all these people are coming back and then remembering us, you know, and then now we were part of the history because it, it was like we weren't part of the history of the yep. ticket for a long time. Um, but as far as, you know, little little points, I, you know, to where I felt like we belonged as a show, uh, you know, I mean, little little things happened like the Rusty Greer fly ball challenge. I don't know if you know what that's all about, but it was kind of a bit we did where Rusty was hitting me fly balls or coaching me on catching fly balls out at this out at the ballpark and it was kind of a bit that went really well on the hard line and that's when the hard line kind of embraced us a little bit more remember what time of of that would have been or early aughts or what you know time frame date wise yeah i i could have been the summer of 99 or 2000 oh really so really early yeah pretty early but then you know the lee corso thing happened (laughs) and that was kind of a big thing that got people talking and then at you know, the did, musers really enjoyed that, and that helped us. Did Bowling for Spares have anything to do with, like, wow, we got our own gig now? I can't remember if you did anything before that or not, but that was kind of your gig, wasn't it, the Bowling for Spares? Yeah, we liked it a lot. Uh-huh. But, you know, the story there is that I think we were told that they are discontinuing that because it was a charity event, but it didn't make enough money for oh. the station. Okay. Oh, I guess I don't remember that. It's so been a long time ago. That was behind the scenes talk. It was really okay. that was really fun. I might like to bring that back. But I love that. I think they did say it. It was a lot of effort, and it did make a lot of money for a charity, but it didn't make enough money for the station. 
Okay. So a charity event that didn't make enough money. Yeah, that seems a little, I don't know, oxymoronic or whatever. They don't really go together. Yeah, but that was the old days. Yeah, 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 yeah. Station has changed a lot over the last five years. Okay, now you briefly touched on this. I had this on my list of things I've been curious about, and I didn't know how much you'd want to get into it, but it seemed to me it was at a summer bash one year when it got real close to you and Bob leaving the station. And I don't know if you want to talk about that or not. I'm just curious about how close were you. If you were real close, what made you stay? Um, do you want to get into what the talking point was? Was it money or respect or you just didn't feel good or do you not want to talk about any of it? <laughs> well, that was – I'll talk about whatever you want. Okay. <clears throat> that was old uh, – the old ownership of Cumulus was uh, different people than run Cumulus now. Is that the brothers? Or was I that think s- it was the brothers, yeah. Okay. Because <clears throat> one of the brothers is the guy – Excuse me. We had a, me and Bob had an agent back then. Ah. We do not now. But we had an agent, <clears throat> excuse me, a radio agent who uh, was negotiating with this, this guy. And I believe we were offered a pay cut. And this is the real glory years of the ticket where we're all number one and everything's just humming along big time. Yeah. And we're not just number one. We're number one by like adding the next two best stations together, and then it might equal us. I know every once in a while I would see those ratings, and I'm like, wait a minute here. If you take that other station and add and double it, they're still not even up to you guys. It was right. just incredible. Yeah. So that was definitely a different time. Uh, <clears throat> so ratings were really good, but they still wanted you so to they take offered a pay us, cut. Yeah, a pay <laughs> cut. And we just, you know, one. <laughs> We pretty much wanted just a tiny bump or whatever, yeah, just to say, sure. but we were not looking to break the bank. We love it here and and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, his explanation to our agent was, hey, I've looked at the uh, landscape and uh, ESPN's not going to offer you anything. 105.3, they wouldn't offer you guys anything. And, you know, so it was basically, we think we can do this, so we're going to. So we're like, man, that's, uh, this seems kind of bad. Yeah. And then the um, the agent started talking to other stations, just sniffing it around. And uh, one of the other stations, it was 105.3 back then, was interested. If, you know, he didn't think we would, they, they at first were surprised. Why, really? They're, yeah. <clears throat> you know, our agent told them, you know, they're, they being off, you know, being undercut over there and. Yeah, they'd, they'd certainly uh, consider moving. You know, we've been there for a long time, probably 12, 13 years, something like that. I think it was 2013. Okay. And, uh, you know, we didn't want to leave for sure. Yeah. But it got down to the point of that was still what was being offered, you know, just the pay cut. And now the money that they were offering over there was an incredibly – bigger amount uh-huh. not only was it a pay cut it would have been a huge like over a hundred thousand a year more did they even ask Eight. you what you were making here like to how would they know how much they were offering you like was, oh this is going to be a big increase for these guys uh i don't know how that worked yeah. a lot of it worked with our agent you uh-huh. know yep. so I'm, i don't know exactly how why but they offered us like i said yeah the annual amount was definitely six figures more wow. per year <laughs> <laughs> and then added up over the time of the contract, um, it was much, much bigger. Uh-huh. And again, remember that station, if you had doubled or yeah. tripled their ratings, it wouldn't have equaled the tickets. And so they thought, 
we need something to uh, make a splash here. We need, you know, something, and we're going to, this is what we'll do. We, you know, I'm sure they would have loved to get the musers, but no way the musers were going to be close to being on the market. Probably same with the hard line. I'm not that dumb to think we're that great. But they were like, you know, this could this could make some news. This could put us on sure. the map a little bit, at least that we exist as a station, because right. they didn't exist at that point. And uh, so, yeah, it got so close. Um, and at that summer bash, that was when the weekend was up. That's mm-hmm. when our contract, I think, was up that week or coming week. And, yeah, we hugged Mike Reiner on the way out, and I think everybody thought we were gone. We thought we were gone. So you had talked to the other guys specifically or just in general hey we got a great deal and we might have to go uh the no so the other guys specifically around the station have been talking to us throughout this okay so yeah they knew what was going on do you know if how they knew did you guys say something to them or was it just i don't know scuttlebutt around the station hey (laughs) well i think i think even management said hey you guys can help us uh, try and keep them here. Nice, yeah. And in the end, if you say, why did we stay? I would say, in the end, it was because of the other guys here mm-hmm. and our realization that even making a ton more money, um, certainly, I think we owed, so I owe a ton to Bruce for even bringing us here. I owe a ton to Bob for being the right guy to be paired with. And his work ethic, all that. He mm-hmm. works. There's no one more prepared for a show than, than Bob. Wow. He could roll out of bed and, and do two two shows by himself probably. <laughs> so I owe him a ton. But also just the guys that we were able. So if Bob and I got to Dallas and started doing a station a, a show on some other station, would it have been successful? And I thought, Probably not, but being in the middle of the musers and the hard line, the built-in ratings that they already had and the built-in audience and their embracing of us in the long run, and therefore that helps the audience embrace you as well, like we owed so much to them Mm -hmm. as well. So despite the fact that the owner of the company who lived in Atlanta and didn't really have any knowledge of us day-to-day was offering a... uh, a pay cut, which still was, um, you know, on the board. <clears throat> these guys, these guys are what we owed our success to, and I, I really love those guys too. Mm-hmm. Like what a I cool love, feeling. you know, yeah. Corby and Reiner and yep. the Musers and Gordo. Like I actually like them. I mm-hmm. don't just like working with them. I, I think they're great people. Yeah. Like, I think they're all really good human beings. Well, we've certainly heard that as listeners all along, <clears throat> is that, yes, this station could not be this successful if these people didn't really like each other. Yeah. So there's that comfort level there, I'm sure, and admiration and respect and all that stuff that goes along with it that probably makes all of you better. And I think other pe- stations try to emulate or copy what the ticket does, yeah. but number one, they can't find a Gordo. Yep. They just think, oh, guy to do the mm-hmm. news. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't understand the talent that he is. And uh, number two, they, they 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 just try to say, oh, let's do events where we mix and match. You know, it's not that simple yeah. to really actually like each other. And a lot of it has to do mm-hmm. with those guys going through what they went through before we ever got here. 
you know, the the bonding they got with start the startup of the ticket becoming what it is, and then us going through. And that's why I say I wonder if, you know, part of what when you say what was the big turning point that you became, you know, was it that we almost left, mm-hmm. and that we didn't because of basically because of those guys, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, was is that what made us really now a part of the family? And uh, maybe, you know, I know it, was a, it It didn't hurt. Yeah. So does that pay cut, did it, was it still in effect? Did you so, have to accept it? So they ended up, we ended up, actually, we ended up talking, the agent was out of it and the owner was out of it. And it was just us and our general manager here hashing something out, which actually was a, a pay cut in year one, if you want to know a little of the details. Wow. <clears throat> um, and then it bumped up after that for years two through four or whatever yeah. two through five i don't remember how, how long it was is but that was, a standard contract five years in the radio world no no that's an exceptionally lengthy one from what i understand mm-hmm. but if you've been at the same place yeah. for 20 years or so i think it was a four-year deal actually with a one-year option if the station chooses to pick it up at a certain time so it gives them a little leeway if things start going south we could say no we don't want you guys at this number yeah. or whatever yeah uh, but things were going well, so they said, okay, we do want you guys again at this number. Do you know what kind of impact that uh, the local management had with Atlanta? Could they say much or convince Atlanta we need these guys? And, you know, I don't know. I don't know what kind of impact or influence they would have with Atlanta. I have zero idea what goes on behind yeah. the scenes like that. Right. That's a much higher level than I ever yeah. got to be with. I just know we liked it here. We mm-hmm. wanted to be here. And, you know, even with – if the pay cut would have continued the four years, I think we would have ended up staying here just because, you know, it wasn't a cut to poverty level. Yeah. It was a cut sure. to, uh, this doesn't seem fair to cut after things are going so well yeah, type thing. Yeah. And with somebody else offering a lot more money, it, that threw another wrench into things. But in yeah. the long run, we were just imagining, all right, what if we went to the Super Bowl and we were sitting over there watching the ticket guys? Yeah. Wouldn't that be sad? Yep. So what's, what would that be worth to us monetarily, you know? Yep. All so makes sense. Yeah. You just want to, you want to be happy inside yep. as well as being able to pay some bills. You know that. You quit a job where you were making good money a long time ago. Exactly right. I certainly am not doing this at this company for money. That's obvious. And, you know, I'm not going to be a world-class engineer or whatever. Our equipment's not really world-class. I better not say any more than that. But, you know, you do it because you love working with these people. And, of course, mine's at a totally different level than you. But still, yeah, I certainly understand the vibe for sure. So just in general here, a couple more questions. I didn't know we were going to spend this much time. When If you've had enough, let me know. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll tell you if I have to go. But okay. If you, got, if you just want to. Yeah, just in general. Time, and this may be. It's not much dancing talk, but that's okay. I don't yeah, really have much to I say. I figured you that. probably didn't even watch the show, did you? Uh, let's just keep it going <laughs> so just day-to-day stuff now it's a little different with your new producer blake and by the way we miss him terribly in engineer i think you got a good one there <laughs> yeah but, he's great so how does the dynamic work between on-air hosts and a producer now it probably depends if the producer's been there a tunnel a long time and so forth but let's say you guys come up with something do you just do it or do you run it by the producer and get his opinion every time something new let's say um man i might need a specific example. I would say more often than not, though, we 
how about just take this my bit or whatever the dancing with the stars calling would you ask blake's opinion of that or whoever your producer would be and say hey what do you think we're thinking of doing this yeah for sure okay because i i think i don't know how everybody does with their producer so maybe this isn't the same on other shows but yeah i think he's he's like a third it's like there's three people trying to program a show instead of two people and so, you know, what's his angle? What's his view? What does he think? Yeah. What does he think at his age? You know, it helps that he's a lot younger, sure, too. Sure, sure. So, you know, w- would this be a tune-out for him? Mm-hmm. Um, or would he be into it? You know, is he entertained by this? How about in the old days when it was you and Bob, and you might have had a producer that was older or been there a long time, would he be an arbiter? Let's say you and Bob disagreed on bringing something to the air. Would you have him or her, if it was a her, say, okay, I, I think this way, and two two wins out over one? I, I didn't know how your differences would ever be, because I'm sure you guys differed on whether you thought something should be brought to the air or not. You and Mom, or whoever you were, your host would have been, your, your co-host? Yeah, I think it might work that way, and sometimes it works that way now. Like, yeah, we're all kind of on the fence. Yeah, I'm on the fence on this. Uh, Jake, what do you guys think? You guys can outvote me. I'm... I'm I'm good if we do it, but I'm fine if we don't. You know, what do you guys? And if there's strong feelings anyway, it's okay, let's do this. Okay. I think we should do it because this or this. And same thing with me and Bob was as we do have different, you know, likes and Sure. You know, he loves soccer and uh <clears throat> I I just remember like having to This is back before Bob Odenkirk was big on Breaking Bad. Um, it, we had Bob Odenkirk on and it was me having to pitch that to Bob. Like, well, why, why do we want this on? And Bob wasn't really into it and Mr. Show or whatever that, that he used to be on. And I pitched to him that, you know, we should do this cause of this, this, and this. And Bob would even, he would craft soccer segments or whatever that I'm not that into, but that would be the gauge of, well, if, if I'm interested in what he's saying, then all the people out there that. I I represent more will be interested in what he's saying too. And he has a passion for it. So that comes through. So it makes you interested in it. But if it's getting too deep, you know, if it's over my head, then it might be over the head of a lot of people out there as well. Yeah. And same thing with something I wanted to bring, you know, there's a lot of hardcore sports fans that are tuning in too. So if I can't keep Bob interested in this story, then you know, I might be losing a lot of people out there too. Yeah. So we both tried to meet in the middle on certain things too. Uh, and I think it kind of worked. Was there ever times um, where you would say, <coughs> or he would say, I want to do this. And the other one was like, no, I don't like that at all for whatever reason. It might not be, you know, uh, legal or moral reasons. It would be just like, no, I don't think that's funny. I don't think it's going to be good. And one of you would have to like give in. I just wondered how, you know, friction, if it ever got that much of a friction between you on something and how it got resolved. Like, you just give up your wanting to do it if he was adamant against it, vice versa? Yeah, I guess I'm trying to think of some example of that, too. But so I think it, it kind of worked in that way of, you know, if I didn't think he'd, you know, if he was going to really put his foot down and say, I don't think we should do this, yeah, then I would agree. Like, well, I don't want to do something that we're both – at least some, no, not half into at least, right. you know? And, and that I didn't happen he, much. I don't think so, no. Yeah. And I think he would do the same thing as if I was really, really against something, then I don't think he'd want to push it through and have 
me not participate in it or whatever. But I don't think that really occurred too much. And maybe we would kind of weed that out in our heads before even bringing that suggestion to the table. Okay. One more in kind of the same line. Now we're talking about upper management, I guess, who technically are your boss, but we all know that the station is doing well because of you guys. You, you generate the interest and the sales and all that stuff. Sure, we have to have people do all that. But let's say you as a show wanted to do whatever it would be, a weekly bid about something, and upper management was like, no, we don't like that and we don't want that. Not for, again, moral reasons or legal reasons or FCC reasons. They just think, we don't think that's funny. We don't think that's going to be good. How much would you guys push for that? Or did it ever happen where you really did push for something and they didn't want you to do it? In the end, upper management will win. If they don't want something, then, then yeah. it won't be on the air. Yeah. Um, but I do think we're very opinionated people, and if we really believed in something, we would try to pitch it in yeah. a way. Like, man, I really think this is good because of this and this and this. And if you can't justify why you're doing something, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Uh, but I can't recall that ever okay. actually happening. Yeah. Good. But okay. I, I, I can recall upper management saying not to do this or that. And uh, what you do is don't do this or that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> okay. that's, they are the boss Yeah. in yeah. the end. I wondered if there was ever a time, and I'm sure there wasn't, but obviously if you nine got together, the nine weekday hosts, and said, we want to do this as a station or something, and upper management says, we don't think so. I didn't know if any, if that would ever even happen where the nine of you would get together and say, no, this is really serious and important to us as a team here at the station. We want to do this, and maybe management didn't want to do it. I'll tell you this. I think I can say this. Well, be careful. I don't want you to say anything you don't want to say or shouldn't say. I suppose we can cut it out if we have to. <laughs> but how are we going to determine that before we... <laughs> I don't know. I think... Well, I can tell you that during... F this is something that reflects positively on everybody, I think. Uh, because furloughs were certainly a part of life during the uh, pandemic, right? Yeah. And uh, our station was no different. And they were... <clears throat> ordering furloughs on many people, but we are contracted employees. And so they could not uh, force us to go on furlough. I see. But we also, again, like the ticket and like the long-term positivity of the ticket and all that kind of stuff. So they did request that we all accept a furlough. So what that would mean is that we'd be off for a certain amount of time. And I can't remember if it was a six-week furlough where we just wouldn't get paid um, or if it was a taking a 20% pay cut. I, I can't remember exactly what it uh -huh. was. I uh -huh. don't know the numbers, and okay. I, I, I can't throw that out there. But yeah. it was some kind of a you either take time off and don't get paid or there were a couple of people at the station that they said, we're going to continue to work for this amount of time, but they would get a some kind of a uh, cut from their pay. Mm -hmm. And they had said, there's just a couple of those people, uh, but they were including us in the, they wanted us, they, again, were requesting that we would take this hit and we would take some time off and not get paid during that time. Mm -hmm. And we, as a group, got together and talked about this. And we did say that in the history of the ticket, 
And when they voted on like the top 25 moments of the ticket history, uh, a lot of people said there, our 9-11 coverage was very big in the, the history of the ticket. And it's that we didn't go off the air. We stayed broadcasting no matter what. And it made people think we were just people like them and all that kind of stuff. And people will point to that as that was comforting that you guys never left the airwaves. And I could go to you, our yeah. friends, and all that. And so I don't know if this played out the way we thought it would. But we didn't, you know, this is unprecedented territory, as they say, about the, the uh, pandemic. Sure. But, so we, we decided, okay, Let's, we want to help the company survive. And so we will take the hit. And instead of taking a furlough, which was the thing offered, so we would have to just take time off and me and Jake would be off the air for how, again, was it five weeks? Was it 10? I have no, I can't remember. Uh, you know, the hard line would have to be off the air. The yeah. musers would have to be off the air. We thought, well, that's bad. Mm -hmm. If we're off the air... What if we got that deal where, the deal, <laughs> we'll take some kind of a pay cut, but we'll stay working. Yeah. And so that's where we banded together. It's not, not really that big of a win, I guess, if you look at it, that these guys got, you know, they won their pay cut uh, instead of winning a get to take a vacation. Mm -hmm. But where are you going to go on vacation during the sure. height of the pandemic, right? Yeah. And we just thought, and me and Jake, for sure, we were a new show and didn't think it would make us a better show to just have more time off. Yeah. <clears throat> and so uh, we, that's the one time I remember the nine of us getting together to talk about an issue and going as a united front and saying, we want to do this. Yeah. And so we did that because we thought it would be better for the long term of the station. Yeah, very cool. And I figured there was nothing like that, really, because, like you said, it's about the positivity of the place. You all are here for a common reason and a common good, and you know how good you have it. So I wouldn't think there would be tons of friction all the time, but just curious about that kind of stuff. One more thing here. Uh, My dog, sorry. It's Bodie. <laughs> now the big the big switch up a couple of years ago when Mike left and Bob went to Hardline and you inherited Jake. My goodness. Again, as little as much as you want to tell us, how in the world did that happen? Was it your idea at all? Anybody's idea? Was it upper management's idea? How did you react to it at first? Did you and Bob and Corby and Jake talk about it? Or were you just thrown together? Uh, I've got a pretty good idea, I guess, but I'd just be curious what you would like to tell us about that time period. I mean, the idea wasn't my idea or Bob's idea. To break it up? Uh, correct. So you would have to talk interview somebody in management to find out the origin of the idea you know so they just came to you and said here's what we're thinking we'd like bob to go to hardline and you'll get jake <laughs> yeah uh -huh. and um you know i guess the thought was that bob is a clearly a well-known sports voice that could and when you're losing mike reiner that's a huge name to lose yeah and so i'm now speculating on what management was thinking on you know could they go hire somebody from the outside that'd be really weird you know um yeah definitely. could they move us to that uh -huh. drive slot and then move danny and corby uh also might be weird because now would you be alienating a lot of the listeners that have loved corby and danny there for years sure uh i don't know uh again now i'm speculating on what someone else is thinking but so from my perspective yeah they came to us and said, would you guys consider doing this? Uh, 
And uh, first reaction, like, oh, what? <laughs> what did you think when you first heard that? Like, really? Or Was it a shock? Yeah, it was a bit shocking. I bet. Yep. And it, it required a weekend to kind of think about it. Um, so you and Bob get together and say, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, yep. But, you know, in the end, I think it was another matter of, you know, is this this is what they think is the best for the long term of the ticket, and we like the long term of the ticket. Yep, That's kind of good. our goal. You bet. So uh, is it? I don't know. But it's what they believe is, and they were – uh, that's what they wanted to do. And uh, I think both Bob, or I say it, and I, I think I've heard Bob say it too, you know, wouldn't have felt so good about it if it wasn't for Jake being involved. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's not like he just started here a couple years ago. Right. He's been with us since 2013, I think, or before even. He was running the board for the show. And then he became the producer. Mm-hmm. And I think he's been the producer, was the producer for almost 10 years. And so he's he's been a huge part of the ticket overall, but then a part of our show for mm-hmm. quite some time, from our noon to three. So I'm uh, now I'm speaking for Bob, but I think Bob felt okay leaving his baby, which he you know helped form this show. Yeah, uh, the bad radio. He felt good about leaving that in the hands of me and Jake, because Jake was quite capable, and. <coughs> I think the initial thought was that the hard line would be a lot different and that we would be the same because me and Jake had been there. Right. So, and then when Bob would leave, Jake would fill in, like on vacation. When I would go on vacation, Jake would fill in. So it wasn't different at all, really. It was always the same show. And so the initial thought was the hard line is going to change a lot and they'll probably change their name and different stuff and... Uh, but then bad radio will just stay the same because we're the same guys that have been there. Let me ask you about timing real quick. Like I worked at Super Bowl with you guys that year, and Jake was with Corby that whole week mm-hmm. at Super Bowl. Now, I, you know, just as a P1 or whatever, I'm like, oh, okay, here's the new team or whatever. Mm-hmm. Did you guys know then that they were thinking about moving Bob to Hardline and Jake to you, and they just thought, well, let's just have these two guys together for Super Bowl week, or did you even know then timing-wise? I think it was right around then. So uh-huh. I don't know if it was at the Super Bowl we were talking about it or right after or right before, but it was that's very close to the timeline. Okay. And maybe yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh yeah, if they knew it before, would they have just changed Bob right away or Yeah. It threw um, off the P1s, I think, or at least it did me because I was thinking, wow, this is what they're doing. They're testing out Jake, and it's been great, so that's who it'll be. But, and they tested out a lot of people, I yeah, guess. Yeah. And maybe they, maybe those were real tests. Maybe they were fake. I don't know. But, I, you know, maybe they were looking for something. Could this work? Or, But, I, again, now I'm speculating on what management was thinking, but I was thinking, I'm thinking that Mike is a huge voice, and Bob – has built his sports persona into a huge, you know, he's his own thing too. Certainly, yeah. So, you know, his name I think could not parallel to Mike, but certainly is big enough that you could say this is big. He can, he can, he can go here in this big time slot that that is worthy of, uh, you know, an announcement that this is replacing Mike Reiner. We can deal with this. Oh. So that's kind of the way I think it happened, but. Yeah, as far as the timing goes, I can't really recall how that went down. I think we were kind of talking about it, but 
nothing was totally concrete as yeah. of that Super Bowl. Okay. But I'm sure they were thinking of a lot of different ideas and, you know, yeah. just like all the, the fill-in hosts that they ran in with Corby. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure they were giving them all their thought, you know. Sure. Yeah, probably similar with uh, your your gig for producer. I guess they ran a bunch of guys through there, didn't they? And did, did you have, like, final say on the producer? Or, is it, again, is that upper management saying, well, we think it should be this guy? And what do you guys think? Or did they even tell you? Did they say, here's here's your new producer? <laughs> no, they, they, they let us have a large say in awesome. that whole process. Yeah. Um, and uh, to be honest, I did not think, of Blake when it all started, that uh-huh. that was going to uh, work out. Uh-huh. Before he interviewed or did it, or you mean just at the end of it, really? All the people were running through that they, they ran through. Uh, as they ran people through, Blake certainly made his his uh, abilities known. But before, like when it first started, mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking, oh, Blake's going to win this job. Sure, yeah. Um, I was shocked he was even going for it. He, I didn't know, and I was like, wow, he's going to, he wants that, huh? Yeah. But I will say this, as after the fact, and we had a couple of favorites, you know, going into that, who we thought should be the producer and that we pushed for. Um, But as the process went on and then as we've worked with him, I would not switch. uh, This is, and obviously I'm going to say that now, right? (laughs) So it almost seems disingenuous, but seriously, he's so good. Yeah. He's he's really really good. He's so he's a quiet guy. Yeah. So you don't really get that you, you don't understand what he's all about, but he's so very good at what he does. I think he would be quality at anything cuz he was a quality engineer. I know that and still is of course on his other time things that he does, but uh yeah, I think he'd be good at anything you wanted to do and you know, not that you need to hear this, but when I'm out as a, on a remote or something, people talk to me once in a while and I can't tell you how many people say the hang zone's where it's at these days. They, they love this show. So, uh, yeah, you put together quite a team, I think, here for hopefully the long haul. And, yeah, and I think, again, the credit, I think credit is to Jake because, you know, I mean, Bob and me were great, and I love Bob, you know. I, I owe him so much, so, mm-hmm. so much. Uh, and I, I don't think I would have made it nearly as far in in Dallas radio if if I was not paired up with Bob and I don't think we would have made it if we weren't plopped in the middle of this great sea of talent at the ticket um but then you know to work with Jake now it's uh it's crazy he's he's awesome he's you know I've known he was awesome all along I guess but just to work day to day with someone where you're actually putting together a show and it's uh I'm having the best time. Fantastic. Like, it's a weird thing. And I suppose I've heard some kids say this about their kids and all that. Like, oh, whatever era I'm in, I would never change. You know, like, I I wouldn't want to go back now. Mm -hmm. You know, it was good times. But, like, I want want to see what we can do moving forward. Who could ask for anything more? That's just awesome. Yeah. Well, I could be here all day with you on ticket stuff. I know I've taken a lot of your time. Maybe just a couple Dancing with the Stars questions. It feels like it's like an afterthought now. Yeah. But have you ever seen the show? I mean, like, have you ever watched the show? I'm sure you've seen parts of it, haven't you? Yeah, I tried watching a little of it this week. <laughs> and time is a concern as I'm worried about getting stuff ready for the show in the morning and yeah. not watching Dancing with the Stars. Sure. Uh, but I just don't get reality TV, really, of any kind, yep. Tony. So you don't watch anything? 
Not really. Not, not at all. Yeah. Um, you know, Idol was a big thing. Is it oh, still yeah. on? I don't even know. Uh, tune in to my I, State of the State, State of the Show address next week on my podcast. I do not like the new reboot of American Idol. In fact, I talked about it on the podcast this week. So maybe listen to this week's podcast if you want to hear yourself. But Okay. Yeah, so Idol, yes, it's still on. And <laughs> it never did close to Dancing with the Stars numbers, but they basically killed Dancing with the Stars to bring Idol on. That's a whole other story. Okay. Well. <laughs> okay, but yeah. You so no, I don't really. I can't. I don't watch it. I can't watch it. I don't care. I feel like these shows are two hours, but they could be a half hour. Yeah. So maybe forty five minutes. Let me ask you this: I don't know who your favorite football player is. If there's a favorite football player out there, if they went on the show, would you have any interest in watching him do that on the show? Since you did like the person or followed the person. Hmm. Yes, I would not say I would not have any interest, but yeah. it, it would still be slight. Put yeah. Luca on there. I'm tuning in. Okay. How about like, didn't care anything about Emmett, I guess, or Michael Irvin when they were on? Michael Irvin was on, huh? Yeah, season nine. Oh, how'd he do? Michael finished in seventh place of season nine, right ahead of Louis Vito, an Olympic snowboarder, I think. So that's not very good. Give me the top he, six. He wasn't too good. Because this is it, always very impressive. season nine, yeah. uh, Donnie Osmond was your champion. Um, a gal named Maya Harrison was second, and she should have won. She was the best dancer that season. But you're not going to beat Donnie because he's the demographic darling, you know. Um, let's see. Uh, Kelly Osborne, third, my Hall of Fame for most improved. Fourth was someone named Joanna Krupa, a really hot, hot gal. And uh-huh. it's amazing she made it to fourth, but she had Derek as her partner because she was a little sassy. She was a little, like, kind of arrogant, and the uh, demographic doesn't like arrogant women on here. But uh, Really? It, she had Derek with her, so got to fourth. Uh, fifth place, let's see. Uh-huh. And I'm just looking at Tony sh- uh, scratching his head. He's not looking at a computer. Oh, no. It's incredible. Uh, this is an incredible trick. Fifth place. Oh, um, Aaron Carter. Uh, Nick Carter's brother. I know Nick Carter because of Backstreet Boys. I don't even know Aaron Carter. Is he a singer or something? I think the young kids know him. Go ahead. Um, uh, and then right see. ahead oh, of Michael um, Irvin. Yeah, uh, a guy. He was the Iron Chef. A guy named Mark Dukakis, I believe is his name. And the Iron Chef is some kind of reality show, food show, I guess. Then Michael, then Louis, then Melissa Joan Hart, then Natalie Coughlin, and, you know, all of them. <laughs> but anyways, uh, no interest in seeing Michael dance, obviously, since you didn't even know he was on the show. DeMarcus Ware was on a couple of years ago? No. Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> apparently that wasn't enough. So who is your favorite football player? I don't even know, I guess. Um, I don't know. Probably Bernie Kosar. What if Bernie went on? Sure, I'd watch him. He'd only be on for like a week. Maybe Mike. Two or three. I, I think of him as a Doug Flutie type. Doug Flutie lasted four or five weeks. So. Oh, Doug Flutie was on the show. Season 22. Okay, yeah. so you think of him as a Doug Flutie type because Bernie oh. Kosar was the opposing quarterback in the Doug Flutie-Hail Mary game. Is that right? I didn't even know that. It was Boston College beating Miami. Yes, okay. No, I just thought old school quarterback, you know, white guy with no rhythm probably, but I don't know anything about Bernie Kosar. He might have some rhythm. I don't no, know. I don't think so. He's very clunky. You know, Doug Flutie was in the same season as Von Miller and Antonio Brown. They had three guys and three football players that season. And, you know, what can you say? There is something to the fact that most white guys just can't dance very well. And I, I don't think that's a racist thing to say. It's just – 
you could tell the difference. You put him next to Antonio. Of course, Antonio Brown's a young guy, too. He was still playing, in fact, when he was on. But Doug Flutie, bless his heart, I swear he'd be like, I'd be like him if I could ever get on the show. When he would dance, you know, you, you do a certain move, like you right foot here, left foot here. That's what it would look like. He would just stomp down and same thing with the hand, like, okay, I got to go to the left on the hand. And he could do the move, of course, but it looked like he's thinking about. It's just not smooth. Yeah, he's thinking about what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to hit here, left here. And there's no, yeah, there's no whatever you want to call it, fluidity or naturalness to it. And uh, so anyways, but so yeah. Do you, are you a fan of anyone just because they're a good dancer? You mean while they're, I mean, the guess I'd know about them on the show being a good dancer because I but, wouldn't have known about it before. No, like guys that they have to work with other people, like they're just good dan. My point was going to be, would you watch a football game or something that you're really not interested in just because that good dancer was doing it? Let's say it's a cooking show and this really good dancer was on there making a strudel. Would you say, hey, I've got to tune into that? So you're asking me, would I want to watch a football player yeah. do this thing that I have zero interest in watching? I see what you're saying. So I'm saying, no, I, I kind of don't. Yeah. I don't want to watch anybody dance. Yeah, I do. Because like Derek Huff, you probably heard that name. He does specials at Christmas with his sister. And yeah, I certainly turn in for them. And of course, they have <laughs> he has his residency in Vegas. I went to see him, what, last weekend? Right. Max and Val are two pros. They have a tour every year. I went and saw them in Chicago this year. So yeah, of course, they're dancing, though. They're not right, really... Right, they're doing dancing. So, But I'm just saying, you know. if they were doing something that's totally something that I don't even know what you're not interested in, um, yeah. are you interested in baseball? Oh yeah, that's that's my sport. Oh, yeah. well, that's a uh, bad, bad one to pull out of the air then, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I think it would be probably the favorites again. Yeah, if Derek Huff's my favorite dancer, yeah, I'd probably watch him do just about anything. But if it was maybe a lesser dancer that I'm not as fond of, maybe I wouldn't watch him go on the cooking show. I don't know. That's why I thought maybe if You'd Bert, watch Derek Huff try to make pottery? Yeah, yeah I would. Yeah. Would you watch him try to flip a house? Flip a house? You mean like buy one and sell one? Yeah, if he's on House Hunters yeah. or whatever. Okay, you'd, you'd watch Derek Huff no matter where I he was. I think so because I think he's one of those guys that <laughs> is talented at everything he does. And I don't know, it's kind of He's the Blake of the, the There show. you go. Yeah, quality at anything he does. Exactly right. <laughs> yep. Would you watch Derek Huff set up a remote for the hard line? <laughs> that I would love to see. <laughs> okay. so it's I, not that hard, but I think if anybody would look at the stuff we have to do, it looks hard, but it's not. But... It's just kind of intimidating when you look at the board, I think, and see all that stuff there. Yeah, you got to make us cre keep the illusion going that it's hard. I know. Uh, Killer loves doing that. He wants to make everybody think it's brain, brain surgery we're doing here, and it's really not. But <laughs> well, I believe that it is. Okay. Well, it could be, if, if you know, depending on your setup. Okay. Well, I guess you don't have any suggestions then for the show. What Should they we could, start recording now? Could they do to improve or anything? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can see the thing recording. Uh would that bother you if this wasn't recording? Not at all. I tell you, this has been such a treat. Um, you know, not trying to be goofy here or anything, but we all have whatever you want to call heroes in life or people that we think have done something that we wish we could have been able to do. And certainly being able to talk with any of you guys at the station is a big thrill. Finding out all this stuff, I'm sure there's some P1s out there that wanted to hear all this too. So uh, this has been an absolute blast. And, uh, of course, you're – a big fan. Um, I'm a big fan of yours because you're the only one holding the Dancing with the Stars bit still, and it's uh, in his hands. Everybody else has abandoned it pretty much. I but feel uh, like I was there when it the inception too. You you pretty much were. It was kind of a why today doesn't suck thing, you know. And uh, you and the hard line, and I just worked more hard lines. That's why I felt like they were kind of the beginning of it, is because I worked them so much more. 
And, you know, he would do e-news segments, Corby would, and I would bust in on those, and they got a kick out of it. And I'm like, wow, yeah, they're kind of kind of the leaders. And then, but, yeah, you've been there since the beginning. You're right, since, for sure. But uh, seem to have been working more with you now, and then, of course, the call-in show. Maybe it was a that. guy's night out remote. Just whenever you first did the trick, I feel like I was on the scene for that. Well, you were, and, yeah, I was going to break that down. There's a whole sequence of events. Like, you had to have Bruce Gilbert probably as a program director and you had to have your buddy talk to him and get turned down for all this to work yeah there was a night when junior found out about it which is kind of the that was that night that girl's night out and you were on the uh round table with i want to say mike and donovan and junior and uh they had a hot chicks couch and mike says you got to go interview them and donovan walks over to me to get the wireless mic and then um I think you said, because Mike said, yeah, you're, you're the best at this or something, however he did it, you know. And you said, or Tony, I could interview with the girls. And then Junior laughed and said, no, that's okay. <laughs> Tone's good, but we, you need to be doing that. And then Donovan picks it up. So you said that, and then Donovan picked it up and said, yeah, Tony, you want to talk Dancing with the Stars. And then Junior kind of just chuckled a little bit, but no recognition really. And then, again, you had to say something. You said um, – yeah, you know, he knows everything about that show. And then Junior's interest peaked. He goes, Tony? Nancy with the stars? And then you said, yeah, he can name all the... And then that got Junior going. So, there, yeah, there was a couple things you had to say in there, I think, for him to acknowledge there was something going on. Because I never really did it on the Musers. And it uh, didn't work them much to begin with. And so, uh, yeah, you've kind of been there from the beginning and probably in little areas that I'm not even recognizing. You kept it going. Do you have that audio? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to hear that. Okay, that, that Send night. Send it to me sometime. Okay, I sure I, will. I assumed you would have saved that. You're the kind of guy that would do that. Well, that was a big night because that was my drop night too when I said Dancing with the Stars kind of robotically. <laughs> is, that, is that the one that we use all the time? Yeah, and you were all over that too because uh, you guys weren't there yet. We were at the guy's night out. You were either at the studio or another remote. And it was Ron Artest of all people. And I don't know why, but it was like Pavlov's dog or something. You know, I'd hear a Dancing with the Stars person, and I Dancing with the Stars, and then you just busted out laughing. And next thing I know, that Mino has it as a drop the next day, and I'm like, "Wow, that was just last night." And so that was a big night. <laughs> so, is it on this podcast, or was it on one of other uh, TC's other podcasts that I've heard? Uh, there was an old ticket remote where you could go watch a Dancing with the Stars with Tony. Yeah, watching party. And just the promo for that was insane. Have you played that on this podcast? Is that I where have. I heard it? Yeah, I played that in, uh, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but at first I usually play some kind of clip from YouTube, and then I play a ticket little thing. A okay, that long. must be where I've heard it. It is. That's where you hit. It. You heard it, and then right after that I played the promo that they ran at the station, which was hilarious. I must so has that been played on this one that we're on now? Oh, that drop? Like previously to us. Does yeah, it, it was a previous podcast. Every- yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, on this podcast, will that be put in? So if somebody's listening now to this whole podcast, have they heard that today? No, they will have to go listen to podcast three or four or whatever Can we drop it, it in? Can we make TC drop in the promo? Because it's the most awesome thing I've ever heard. What, the promo from the station or the, are you talking about it? Uh, the the station. Party. Okay. Because yeah, you did a 40-liner about it. No. Oh, really? Yeah, you did a 40-liner about it, and I played that at, at, before I played the promo. On my podcast, just the promo, Danny was not like it just kept dropping that in, and yeah, but there was, was like, some announcer, Meet Tony, got, yeah, Watson, <laughs> yeah. Danny was it was it's 
the craziest promo. I don't know who did that, but it was pretty good. I know Sigler, Greg Sigler was the, the sales rep, and he got it somehow, somebody to do it. I don't even remember who voiced it over, but uh, yeah, that was nuts. Where was that? Uh, or where did you do the, the watching party? Is it the Box Garden up in Plano, that outdoor venue where we had Summer Bash? Uh, is that Lava Cantina? No, no, it's Legacy Hall, Box Legacy Garden. Legacy Hall, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, oh, my God, we had a storm that night. So you can do that? What's that? Did they charge people entry? For? Because I was talking to my guy at the Alamo. Mm-hmm. And I was, you don't even know I'm trying to do stuff for you behind your back. I was talking to him about, could we do a Dancing <laughs> with the Stars watching party? Oh, my God, on the big screen. Yeah, he said, <laughs> but he said something about you can't do it if you're going to charge money. Oh, is that right? No, it was just a hardline remote, and then I was just doing the watching party after the hardline remote. So just people, for nothing. Yeah, yeah, people were just coming out. Because I want, would that be something you'd want to do? <laughs> well, I'd want to line stuff up. That's a big undertaking. You know, I'd have to give giveaways, and I'd probably want to have dance lessons and <laughs> a lot of stuff. But uh, it was in the a, future, maybe. It was a blast to do for sure. I had a great time. You know, I got in the tux and everything, and. Uh, uh, we had a lot of fun, fun giveaways, and we had some guys come out. Saroy came out and was doing the salsa, and <laughs> it was fun seeing all those guys out there doing stuff. And made me feel great, you know. It was like, wow, these guys are supporting me too, even in this silly little thing. So, so yes, uh, it's always been a very uh, thankful effort on my part to you about to keeping this thing going because I know it's dying out. Who knows how much longer this show's going to last? <laughs> the 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 hang zone or or no the Dancing with the Stars okay. yeah it's uh, who which one will last longer oh there's no doubt I, I hang zone for sure of course we're talking twenty years how long are you gonna work <laughs> I don't know man that's a question you're a young guy have you even thought about down the road probably not you're just in the prime of life thinking yeah this is ride this gravy train I mean you don't even think about retiring do you or no not at all yeah well and I do think that a uh, you know uh, uh, my leader, Mike Reiner, he was my age when I got to the ticket. Yep. And that was 20 years ago. So I, I guess I have at least 20 years in me. Yep. Yeah. And then Norm, of course, is going beyond where anybody yeah, amazing. thought he could go. So Yeah. And I figured if you like what you're doing and you're getting paid well and what a great team you work with, I mean, yeah, I would never want to leave either. So yeah, it's good fun. Tickets fun. Good deal. Well, thanks very much. This has just been awesome. Well, thank you. I'm uh, <laughs> proud to be on this uh, podcast, Tony. You're the best. Well, thanks. There he is, folks. Ballroom Blitz Podcast. That's our guest of the year right there. No offense to TC. We couldn't have done it without him. But uh, uh, you never never know when you get to interview a hero. So who knows if this will ever happen again. Thanks again. Okay. Well, let's get back into a little ticket audio right here. You know, kind of fun and perfect, I think, because we just talked to one of the ticket legends there, Dan McDowell. Um, what we do each week is we just kind of highlight some things that have gone on in the history of the show. Uh, the guys liking the bid or not liking the bid or, you know, kicking me in the, the groin or whatever. Um, we're going to do a little of everything today. We got some bad radio hardline mix. We got a couple bad radios. This is going back, obviously, since it was bad radio, an E News hardline clip, and then a Musers clip back when they liked the bit. So, uh, this first one here, this is going to be a why today doesn't suck, mi- suck miss. My God almighty. Why Today Doesn't Suck Mix with the Bad Radio Show and Hardline. Most of these things are going pretty far back. I'm not sure when this one was done. I think this one's five years ago. Uh, The other ones are all six, seven years ago, I believe. But uh, this is them coming uh, into that mix and uh, 
Dan was always good about uh, just talking to me and bringing it up. And uh, we somehow get into, I think, talking about our tour, tour stop coming up that I have. Right there, Tony. Keep holding the uh, piece of tin foil in your hand Plenty in the, just that direction. Fancy weather stars. What are you doing, Tony? Yeah, let's go to the uh, what do you mean? I'm out here working. What's your bit? Uh, well, I went to the tour the other night in Kansas. What tour? Dancing with the Stars. There's a Dancing, Dancing with the Stars with tour the stars. in Kansas? Well, they do for like 50 cities throughout the country, and I went to the one in Kansas. Okay. Who are, the, who are the big stars? Yeah, who was there? Who'd you see? Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers. Frank Gifford. Rashad was there. I got a picture with him. Matt Damon. He actually talked to me during the show. Who? Rashad Jennings, season 24 champ. Let's go on oh, to something that has some importance to it, <laughs> if in fact there is anything. You know, Tony. Is his name Rashad or Rashard? What? Uh, where did he finish? That's Coach said. Are you, you spending all your disposable Or quite a bit of it, I tell you. Side projects. You know the. Uh, we the only keep doing up. it so he can play that twice. Then we stop. I don't know if you guys right. heard. So that no. means we're stopping. But after 13 seasons or 13 years, they're canceling it. They're not having a spring season next year. The numbers are sinking, Tom. They are not. I monitor those very closely. They're fine. <laughs> oh. So that's very disappointing. So this season, I will be all over it. Because it'll be a 10 before the next one. We had a discussion out of training camp whether or not you record these things. Tom so when you're like 65, you can go back and just watch it like it's all new. Yeah. Tom Bergeron is you record all these? like he used yeah. to. Do you buy the DVDs and stuff? They don't have DVDs. I wish they did, but they don't. So. Okay. Because a lot of the stuff I they have recorded... They don't have DVDs of the entire season? No. Oh, my God. And a lot of the stuff I have recorded is not HD, so it's not as good as I would like what? it. What? You ever slow Bob can digitize I, it for you. Yeah, like, Bob, will you digitize you know, that? You can't upgrade it to HD, though. Don't be... Yeah, by the way, if anybody uh, knows about DVD sets, uh, Dancing with the Stars, let me know. I don't think it's been produced, but a uh, little why today doesn't suck fun there. Uh, this next one is going way back, maybe seven years ago. And uh, I believe this is Dan just kind of giving me rapid fire questions and uh, seeing if I had answers for him. And then they happened to mention the nighttime show that I was going to do a little later, or Jake did anyways. All right, so uh, so there's Tony. We might check back in with him to see if he's figured out season... 21. Season four. 21. Season four, who won? Season 20. Who won season four? Apollo Ono. Season 16. Apollo Ooh. Kelly Pickler. Season 12. Heinz Ward. <laughs> He's more impressive He's than so your Super Bowl trick. No question. No. You know why? Because the impressive. Super Bowl trick, there's got to be 10,000 dopes that can do it. Who can do that? I ask you, who else has the Dancing with the Stars trick? Maybe a lot of fashion police viewers. No. They're too busy. And I think that's why a week from today we'll have Tony's Dancing with the Stars preview show on Thursday night. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Are you doing a Thursday night thing? Where'd you hear that, Jake? Are you? Am I wrong? Oh, my god. Okay, nodding on the radio, Tony. That's <laughs> lesson one for hosting a show. Fancy weather stars. Yes, next Thursday after the hard line, I'm going to do one of those Thursday night whatever we want shows. On we'll the Go back to nodding. 
There you go. Boy, yeah, that was a big thrill for me. That was really the first major thing I did outside of talking to the guys, you know, at the station was uh, back then they had, and they still do maybe, I don't know. They, for some reason, they were mainly on Thursday night. They had what they called the F around Thursday night show where uh, different people at the station could bring something to the airwaves, you know, whether it be a golf show or a wrestling show or Norman Mary had a travel show. And I thought, what the heck? Would they let me do a Dancing with the Stars show? And I couldn't believe it, but the program director let me do it. And, you know, I'm not even a radio guy, so I'm an engineer. So I was shocked that they let me do it. And I actually got to do two of them. So that was a big thrill. Uh, this next one here is uh, during Why Today Doesn't Suck Again, Bad Radio and Hardline back in the day. Again, really long ago. I think when it was about seven years ago. And another one where they were quizzing me a lot in the early days. And if you listen closer to the end here, you'll hear Bob who was always kind of like begrudgingly going along with it because everyone else did, he'll ask like, what's going on here or something like that because he's like had enough of it, I think. But uh, let's get that one up and run it. Like saying, hey, who won season eight on Dancing with the Stars? <gasps> who could know that? That was Sean Johnson. Oh! Season four. Boom! Have you ever thought about running for office? Just think about that. Oh, Amber Riley. Season two. Like if you... That was Drew Lachey. If you put your mind, Tony... NFL winners that uh, just doesn't seem to add up. And by the way, Dan, don't go freaking Bush League on him. Tony, uh, fourth place, season three. Fourth place, season three. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Uh, her name is Monique Coleman. Uh-huh. And she's tough to know because I didn't know of her before, and I haven't heard a word about no. her afterwards. Right. First place, third, Dan. Third Give me place. a break. What the heck is going on here? Third place, season 13. Third place, season 13. The computer's not working so good in my head. Let's see. Oh, the team. Oh, that bike it in. You've snorted. There go the toothpicks. They just dropped out uh, on the ground. Oh, Ricky Lake, the talk show host. <laughs> Ricky Lake? <laughs> 42, 26, this 42. Is, this is how you get a Thursday night show previewing Dancing with the Stars. Damn right. That is so great. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, in the early days, they would quiz me quite often. That's, that's certainly dropped off, but... Uh, uh, very happy. I think I got them all that time. But uh, so let's see what's next. Uh, oh, this is an e news segment, which was on the hard line back in the day. And I think Corby was talking about all the kids that Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, the comedian, had had. And it turned out he had a kid with one of the Dancing with the Stars contestants. So I had to had to mention that. A 25 year old son, Christian, with ex girlfriend Tamara Hood, and an eight year old daughter, Angel, with former Spice Girl Mel B. Did you know Mel B was on Dancing with the Stars? Oh. <laughs> Tony perked up. Not quite as much energy there as usual, but no. Did I? Mel B. Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Second place. What year? Mel B would have been uh, season five. Who won that year? Elio Castroneves. Hey, that's race oh, car yeah. like down here. Here we oh, go. It all ties together. Wonderful, Tony. Thank you. <laughs> Dancing with, with the, stars. the stars comes full circle. Yeah, I guess we were out at the Motor Speedway then when that's why I mentioned Elio Castroneves. Okay, so that was fun. Uh, one more here. Uh, this is the Musers. Again, going way back. And this is when 
Junior really liked the bit, and they would have me on. I swear I was on with them six, seven times, either on Gordo's Corner or just them talking to me. And this is one of those where they just decided to talk to me. Um, I, was, I was out on remote with them, and uh, they uh, thought I knew too much about Lynn Goodman's schedule, the head judge. But uh, let's just listen to a little of the musers uh, back when they liked the bit. We have Tony engineering this morning. And I wanted to get Tony's quick take on the shocking announcement this week that Len Goodman was retiring as one of the judges from Dancing with the Stars. Tony, you're yeah. the foremost Dancing with the Stars expert slash fan in America. I don't know about that, but he it wasn't shocking because he'd been talking about it for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, Craig. And, and uh, see, the thing he does is he does the Strictly Come Dancing show in United Kingdom. Uh -huh. And that's at the same time as the fall version of Dancing with the Stars. Okay. So for 10 years, he did double duty. He worked that show Saturday night. He would do the results show Sunday night, do the red eye, come do Monday show here in L.A. You know way too much about uh, Lynn Goodman's schedule. Stars. Well, it's very disappointing because he's one of my favorites. Who's going to replace him? Um, as of now, they're going to do guest judges for the next season. <laughs> now, the hope is, is he'll come back for the spring season, season 22, because uh -huh. they don't have the Strictly Come Dancing in the U.K. then. So... <laughs> Your eyes glazing. Hey, yet. Tony, see if you can pot down your mic there a little bit. Just, <laughs> just write it down. Come on. No, 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 Craig no, asked it, him and he was it answering. Is, it is amazing. It's that, incredible. That he knows this much about Dancing with yeah. the Stars. All right, just, this is totally random. In P1s, we have not set this up. All right, Tony, season six, who were the finalists? That uh, was Christy Yamaguchi, the Olympic skater. Uh, Jason Taylor, the Miami Dolphins football player at the time. <laughs> and then uh, the third guy was a guy named, uh, let's see. Hot Dog six, Sam? No, it was uh, Christian De La Fuente. He's a Latin soap opera guy or <laughs> this something. This is unbelievable. It's a random year. This is the least likely Look that to up score sure with right. women party trick. Oh, I don't know about that. No, we've women had women who I don't who think women this. are attracted to this. Yes, yes they are. They love this. I love that show. I told you last time, I was very popular in the line out in L.A. for the show. If he says <laughs> himself. See there? Because how many uh, men were out there in line for the show? It was about one to eight or one to nine. So so for every, yeah, for every guy, there was nine, eight or nine women. I am so fascinated by I could do two segments with Tony on Dancing with the Stars. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, isn't it? We've only got uh, 24 days till season 21. Okay, thank you, Tony. Hey, thank thank one you, more Tony. thing. 12 days they're going to announce the cast. Oh, oh how exciting is that? <laughs> this is great. All right, thanks, Tony. Well, thank you, Junior, for bringing that to air, and uh, I'm very sad you've left me. But uh, a lot of fun with those boys back when it, uh, the bit was just getting off the ground. Okay, a little ticket audio. Uh, let's move on. This is our last season review. We do this every week. We're up to seasons 26 through 28, and this is very apropos. This was Tom's last three seasons, Tom and Aaron's last three seasons, and it was the beginning of the end of the show as we knew it. Uh, season 26 started in, uh, let's see, April 30th of 2018, had 10 couples in it, and this wasn't even going to happen. Um, at the beginning of season 25 in the fall, they had said there will not be a spring season, and they they changed their mind for one reason only, and this is where uh, uh, it's the beginning of the end because of this. They wanted to prop up the reboot of American Idol. American Idol was coming back with Katy Perry, I think Lionel Richie and Luke Bryan, maybe. I don't know who the other guy is. And then Ryan Seacrest was coming back, and it was going to premiere in the spring of 2018. 
So what better way than to bring your number one show in and prop it up? In general, I have no problem with that. But you don't do it at the expense of your number one show. And that's what they did. They made this thing a mini season. It was four weeks long. Normal season, 10 weeks. Think about that. Four weeks long. You can barely get your appetite whetted and it's over. Uh, So I knew that was going to be bad. Now, it was an all-athlete edition, which I had no problem with, and I don't think that is a problem. Uh, But the mini season was the thing that was going to be the problem. And again, it was just there to prop up American Idol. Uh, they were four one hour or the I'm sorry, the finale was a one hour show. And think about that for a minute. The finale they just did for one hour. And the reason that was a one hour show is because American Idol's two hour premiere episode was right after Dancing with the Stars final. Um, again, you're you're short thrifting your number one show to prop up this uh, bad reboot of a show that had its glory day. And you're starting to chip away at your number one show because you want to prop this thing up. I don't know what they were thinking. Were they thinking American Idol is going to become number one, which it did not ever, the reboot? Um, I don't know. But they started damaging their product, their number one product, in hopes, I guess, of making Idol number one. I don't know other reason why they would do that unless it was just, you know, nearsightedness on their part. But uh, they weren't going to have one, and then they decided to throw one out there for four, for four weeks. There were a lot of crazy things in this season with, when you only have four weeks. There were two double eliminations. Uh, there was one triple elimination. How crazy was that on the, I guess it would be the third show or the semifinals night. And then again, the thing that just burned me to no end was the one-hour finale leading into Idol. Everything was compressed and smashed in there. They had very short dances. And uh, at the end of the show, when you had your champion, uh, we mentioned, uh, did I mention, I don't know if I mentioned this, Adam Rippon was your champion, Josh Norman, the football player, was second, and Tanya Harding was third. When they announced those, there was just the three of them out there, and they announced Adam as the champion, but they didn't tell us who finished second or third. So we left, the show left without telling us who was second or third. There was no time to talk to Adam. Tom was pushed for time. He had to just say, oh, here comes American Idol now. And it was almost like, ah, this is an afterthought. Our season 26 finale champion, we're going to go to this new reboot for two hours, live reboot. And sure enough, they they switched right off to to American Idol going into a live two-hour premiere. Mm, Makes me still furious to think about that because that was the beginning of the end of this thing. And the reason I say that is because I have a lot of people that come to me from time to time about the show. How's the show doing? Well, I had a second job at the time, and they all knew I was at the ticket, and they all knew I was a Dancing with the Stars fan. And one of the guys comes up to me, and he says, this is in the middle of the season. I say the middle, two weeks in. When's Dancing with the Stars going to have their season? And I go, it's on right now. And he goes, what? I haven't heard anything about that. And I go, yeah, I know. They did not give it any publicity because they were giving all the publicity to American Idol reboot. He goes, oh, okay, I, well, I guess I better get in there and watch it. And I said, yeah, you better hurry up. There's two shows left. Next week's the semifinals. He's like, what? And I go, yeah, it was a mini season compressed into four weeks. They've already had the first two, so we're down to the semifinals next week. And his response was, and I bet you this happened to a lot of people who found out about it two weeks in, Oh, there's no point to do that now. It's almost over, and I won't get to know the people hardly before they're voted off. And and he's right. You know, half the show was gone already, and uh, half the people were gone. 
And part of the fun of this show, I think, is that you become familiar with the characters on it. You like their journey they go through and you find out something about them. And it's like, oh, how's so-and-so going to do next week? Because you've already developed some kind of, you know, long distance relationship with them through the TV. So that was all gone. And there was just a million other things wrong with the season. And I don't even want to get into it right now because it makes my blood boil. We'll get into some of it next week, maybe with the state of the uh, show address. But I did want to play one thing here. Um, back in, in season 26, I had a uh, call-in show to The Wolf, one of our sister stations at Cumulus. And I called into the morning show and we had a discussion about the prior night's episode. And this was, I think, my discussion of the show, the semifinal show that was just ended and was going into the finals. And I'm not even sure exactly what I said here. I think I talked about some of the uh, issues with it, but uh, let's just hear what I had to say when I was on with the Wolf then after semifinals of season 26. Here, there's just too many weird things going on, you know, like they allowed the fans to have uh, the vote during the show. Same with Idol. Yeah, is that how it works? Yeah. Oh boy. Well, I'm not liking that, you know, and, and I have nothing against Josh, but he's a Washington Redskins football player. So who gets to vote during the show? The East Coast, that's where all the Washington Redskins fans are. So he's got a built-in advantage, I think, with that kind of voting. And I got to tell you, the TV ratings are down this season. So that's another sad story about this whole thing. Is the prize money the same? I have not heard of any report on that. I would assume that they get the same base amount, which is 125000 In other words, you just get that for being on the show. Yeah. Um, but the big thing during the 10-11 week season is you get more each week. And my guess is they're not going to do that. I think one of the reasons they have a shorter season is because the rumor is, is that they're spending so much money on American Idol, ABC is, for the judges' salaries and just so much for the reboot of that, that one of the other shows has to kind of take it in the shorts, I guess you would say, <laughs> and not get as much money as usual. And my guess is they're not making as much as they normally would. Well, if anybody was to know, it would be you, our <laughs> Dancing with the Stars expert, Tony the engineer will talk to you next week after the finale of dancing with the stars thank you sir you're very welcome and yet we'll talk to you after the one hour finale just another <laughs> weird thing in a weird season so bitter <laughs> yeah i was bitter and uh we already knew ahead that it was only going to be a one hour thing and i couldn't believe it going into it i'm like you're going to do that to this show a um, couple things there uh gosh one of them i forgot already but we did mention the voting that silly voting thing had started then where they were doing live voting and I mentioned, you know, Josh Norman was mainly a, res a Washington Redskin football player. So if he had any fan base, his fans would see him because live and they would get to vote because it was the Eastern and Central time zones that got to see that show live. If it would have been, I don't know, a Los Angeles Raiders or somebody else on the West Coast football player, his fan base would have not got to see him dance at all. Yet they were still supposed to vote for him, I guess, just because of popularity when this show wasn't even on, uh, one of the many things that's wrong with this show. Again, we'll get into that next week. But uh, yeah, I was already griped about that uh, uh, one-hour finale that was coming up. So uh, one more thing. This was after the finale. This is calling in the wolf again. And uh, they actually had Tony Dovolani, one of the dancers, do a recording of introducing me, which I thought was hilarious. We'll play that here. Hi guys, this is Tony Dolani from Dancing with the Stars. And now with a report from Dancing with the Stars, here comes Tony, the engineer. Well, good morning, guys. And mercifully, season 26, 
the mini-season is over. How are you feeling today? Are you happy? Are you sad? Or mixed emotions? What? You know, almost every season at the end, I say it's bittersweet. Sorry that it's over, but we had a fun season and what a great experience it was. It's much more just bitter this season. (laughs) Why? Oh my gosh, this thing came and went so fast. Uh, There's a million reasons. Uh, The songs were too short last night. Uh, The first dance was barely a minute. It's just everything felt rushed. When the champion was announced, they didn't get to talk to him. Uh, We don't even know who finished in second and third because they were running into American Idol's lead-in and they had to get off the show. So the whole thing was just shoehorned in this season. It felt rushed. And I got to tell you, I felt like the show was disrespected by ABC. I really do. They were so concerned with Idol and getting that off the ground. I think they kind of of abused the uh, the old Dancing with the Stars show. Their shiny new toy. Yep, I think so. You know, you're giving it to him. Good for you. Well, you know, I'm actually glad you didn't uh, have this call in last night because I was pretty hot after that show. <laughs> oh, I bet. I yeah, he's right. Or I was right. Yeah, I was pretty hot. So I'm glad I didn't have to call in right after the show. Uh, I just mentioned some of the things there. You know, no one knew to watch it. And there was there was damage done to the brand in that season. Uh, the, the ratings... We're down 14% for that season, mainly because I think people did not know about the show, or if they found out about it, it was half over. The season was half over. So it was like, why are you doing this? Why are you creating problems for yourself with this show? Except, like I said, the only thing I can think of is they thought, well, American Idol is going to take over and be number one. And it wasn't, and it hasn't. And uh, they damaged the show uh, because of it. Now, I did say, I think a little bit later, this fact, let's move a little longer here in the discussion um, about next season, how I was going to look forward to next season and make sure that they fix some of the stuff that they've damaged. And I was telling this to uh, the Wake Up With The Wolf show uh, right here. Happy we got one more full season. But I got to tell you, the ratings were so abysmal. I mean, horrible. Survivor beat it this year. Wow. That venerable old show that's been on even longer than Dancing with the Stars. They've had such a big drop this season. The voice beat it routinely every week. I'm afraid there's some damage that's been done to the brand. I'm going to be looking at those ratings very closely next fall. Because as you know, in the radio business, you got to have ratings. So it's a big season coming up. So what do you Well, it really was a big season coming up. Season 27, I had that thing under a microscope. And in that, in that ironic how that works, you know, I'm like, okay, this is it, guys. You can fix the mistake you made in 26. And what did they do? They doubled down on mistakes. And then they, you had your Armageddon season. And so the season 26 was the start of the blow up. We had a chance to fix it. And I wrote those guys a letter, which we're going to get into next week. The letter I wrote to the ABC executives. Cautionary tale, you guys are having problems now. You better fix this in season 27. And they didn't. And we'll get into season 27 in just a minute. Anyways, the rest of season 26, Adam Rippon was a great winner. Uh, He should have won. Uh, I think I had him as my honorable mention on my top 10 male list of all time because I only got to see four or five dances that season. You know, uh, such a short season. Another thing they cheated us on. We didn't get to see the greatness of maybe Adam Rippon come out and maybe he would have been a top 10 male of mine. And I know in the big scheme of things, none of this matters. So let me rant because <laughs> it matters to me, I guess. But uh, yeah, so we didn't get to see that. Um, his uh, uh, dance partner in, uh, I don't think he, she danced with him, but Mariah Nagazu was in this season also, another ice dancer. And she should have been in the finals. She finished fourth. But don't get me wrong, Jack, uh, Josh Norman and Tanya Harding were both very good dancers. I was so surprised at Tanya Harding dancing as well as she did. Um, 
one of the oddities this season, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in this season, the, one of the greatest basketball players of all times, all seven foot, foot one of him or seven foot two of him. Incredibly awkward. Uh, they did one dance where Lindsay, his partner, was on the top of the shoulders of another dancer, another female dancer, to get to eye level with him. And she had a big hoop skirt on, so you couldn't see the other dancer below her. It was really ingenious. It was really cool. But that was just kind of a freak show, being seven foot one and seven foot two or whatever he is. And 71 years old, by the way, one of the oldest people to ever be on the show. Um, and then there's other people I would have loved to see more of. Uh, Jenny Finch was in this this season. She was good, but we didn't get a chance to see her very long. Uh, Chris Master, a, an Olympic loser of all things, was in it. And I thought he had a lot of potential. And again, just didn't get to see him long enough because the show wasn't long enough. Uh, Adam's partner was Jenna. That was her first win as a pro. Fingers crossed she gets another one here with JoJo, but not likely. And again, as I said, the ratings were down quite a bit. I think I even mentioned in that uh, call into the wolf, Survivor beat it. Think about that for a minute. Survivor beat it. And I'm not blasting Survivor, but Survivor has been on longer than uh, Dancing with the Stars. And Dancing with the Stars just ruled that show forever. And because of this huge hit they took, over a 14% drop in one season, uh, it was no longer the uh, shiny new toy or shiny ratings doll that it used to be. Okay, so let's go to season 27. Premiered September 24th, 2018. 13 couples. Let's write the ship this season. Not so much. Even pains me to say this. The champion was Bobby Bones. Oh, boy. Second went to Milo Mannheim, third Ivana Lynch. Bobby Bones, no better than 10th, 11th best dancer that season. Uh, just shield, shilled, is the right word? Shilled for votes the entire season. He, uh, he was a country music DJ, or is. Three million people listened to him each week. He just begged for votes all the time. Um, made a mockery of the whole thing. And it's a shame, too, because he was kind of fun guy to have around. He was, he was very happy-go-lucky. He's kind of crazy in the head. But that's all right. That's okay to have that on the show. And I had no problem with him staying a little while. But you can't have a, like we've talked about, you can't have a non-dancer make it to the finale because this is going to happen eventually. And it did. He won the Armageddon season that blew everything up. Uh, the ballot box stuffers were, were out in mass. People that never watched the show. He recruited them. He had a huge country fan base. Country people in general do well on this show. And, you know, he had country stars come on and say, vote for Bobby Bones. And he was unabashed about it, you know. And I know a lot of people said, well, good for him. He did what he had to do to win. And uh, those people don't care about the show because that's not good for the show's reputation. It's not good for the show's credibility. And go back to season five. We did this when we covered season five. And Jerry Springer was getting sent along each week by ballot box stuffers. And he would come on air and say, stop this. This is not fair to the other contestants who are losing money. This is not fair to the show. This is not good for the show. And I would have loved Bobby Bones to do that because he might have been able to stop it, especially if he got to the semifinals or finals because he won all the money he could win in the finals. You don't win any more for you get any more money for winning it. But he didn't, and it's well, you know, it was the death knell for the show as we know it. Uh, of course, in the finale, Milo, Milo Mannheim should have won. He's a top ten male dancer for me of all time. Uh, Juan Pablo Depache didn't even get to the finals. He's a top five male of all time to me. He should have won the season, of course. And then there was another season uh, uh, dancer named Tanache who finished 10th. A great female dancer. She's a singer. Uh, she could have made it to the finale, I'm confident, but she fell prey to the voting demographic of this, uh, this show.
Uh, let's see. The judges save was finally implemented in this season, but even that's a half-assed judges save. We'll get into that next week. And uh, but that shows how bad 26 was. Or after, or sorry, it wasn't implemented this season. It was implemented the next season because of this mess that happened here. Uh, let's see. Anything else? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, Joe Amabile was in it. A bachelor uh, from the Bachelor Nation, and he's another awful dancer. He finished sixth. He was double eliminated with Juan Pablo de Pache before the semifinals. Uh, so he was partly probably why they brought in the save too, but no, it was mainly mainly Bobby Bones. Sharna's first win as a pro, and I don't know, but I bet you in her heart of hearts, she knows it's a fraudulent win, and uh, she probably you know would love to have won it with James uh, Hinchcliffe, the actual great dancer of season 23, but Lori Hernandez was there that season. But, you know, she'll take it, I'm sure. They don't get any more money for winning it. But uh, And then the ratings were down another 12% from season to season. Just, oh, just atrocious because of all the bad stuff that was going on. So we get to season 28, Tom and Aaron's last season. Uh, this was a very sad, morose season for me. It was a dead man walking season. Uh I thought Tom and Aaron both were off their game a little bit. Don't get me wrong. They're both professionals, and they both did a good job. But I could see the sadness in their face from time to time. Uh, Aaron was very uh, out and about with that. And Tom even let it get to him a couple times. And it was heartbreaking to see because I think we knew the end was near. Now, I thought maybe the end of the show was near, not the end of Tom. And they were going to try to keep this thing going. So that was the shock for me. But uh, let's get to the, the results. Hannah Brown won a bachelorette. Kel Mitchell was second. Allie Brooke was third. Allie Brooke was the best dancer that season, but had no fan, fan support. She made it through three judges' saves, saves because no one liked her in the voting demographic, but she was the best dancer that season. Um, again, I don't have a huge problem getting having her not win because she made it to the finale, which is what the judges' save was for. And then it's up to the fans, basically. And I'm like, okay, you know, at least have all good dancers in the final three or final four, so we have a legitimate champion. And Allie would have been a legitimate champion. Hannah was a legitimate champion. I think Kel would have been okay, too. They were all pretty good dancers, and uh, that's what the judges' save is meant to do. Let, let you have a good dancer be the champion. Uh, let's see. Uh, the judges' save was implemented, as we just said. The live voting was still going on and still is going on couple things about the season itself. Uh, Ray Lewis had to withdraw due to an injury. He would be the ninth person to have to withdraw from the show. Uh, Christy Brinkley was going to be in the season, but she broke her arm in practice with Val prior to the season, and her daughter, Sailor Brinkley Cook, came in and took her place. This was, of course, the season of Sean Spicer, a very controversial political figure, and this is what probably was the end of Tom. I do have a little audio here. We may have played this early in, this, in the podcast season, but this is Tom talking to Bob Saget about how the season was going in 28 and why he probably was let go. It's, it's 14 years you were there. Yeah. yeah. And it was a, what you started to allude before uh, over some of your opinions uh, that people didn't agree with. Yeah. Would you want to expound on that? Sure. Or? I think, look, uh, the bottom line for me is that the the great majority of the time that I was there, it was wonderful. There were personnel changes behind the scenes, and those people uh, and I did not see eye to eye about how best to present the show, particularly when 
we were at a point where it was on only once a year. The, the spring season had gone away. Uh, we were only doing a fall season. So between, uh, see if I have it right, 2018 and 2019, uh, that summer uh, had a couple of meetings because we had been off the air since the previous November and they wanted to get my input as to what I thought um, we should be doing when we came back. And uh, so we were on the cusp of uh, an election year as well. So I said, you know, the only thing that I would say is let's play to our strength. Let's be an oasis for two hours every week from all of the nonsense and the divisiveness going on right now. And, uh, and just let's not, let's not put political people in there. Let's, let's keep it, you know, oh, and they both, the two people I had lunches with separately agreed wholeheartedly until they booked the show. Uh, and I was really quite caught by surprise and taken aback and, uh, felt a bit misled and prepared a, a statement that I released that did not spe uh, specify a person or a party because that was never the issue with me. Whether it was somebody I voted for or didn't, I didn't think a political person um, was an appropriate booking for the show. But and also, I'm, on, I'm on the same page as yeah, you on that. I think a lot of people for, were. Yeah, for the, for the time we were going to be on, which was really on the cusp of uh, the, the presidential election campaign. So uh, we, we differed on that. I was public about that. Uh, I don't think that um, sat well with right. the uh, producer or the network. There you go. That was pretty much it. Uh, it was a new group of management coming in, and we all know when new people come in to run something, the existing way of doing things and the existing people <laughs> can be in trouble. And uh, obviously, if he really did have lunches with, uh, I believe him, he had lunches with these two people on separate occasions. He voiced his concerns. They were asking his, his opinion. And he thought that they were in agreement. And then they go around and, and, and book this guy anyways. And I, I'm sure Tom felt a little betrayed because... You know, why would you ask his opinion, get it, and do the exact opposite, especially if you led him to believe that you were going to implement his choices or the way he would like to do it? And I know Tom doesn't run the show, but my God, he was an integral part of it since the beginning. And it just seemed like kind of a uh, not a very nice thing to do to invite him to lunch. We want your opinion. Oh, we don't like that opinion, so we're going to do what we want anyways, and we're not going to tell you. And then he kind of expresses his frustration with a tweet and it's not anything bad. It's just, you know, I didn't think it was going this way and obviously they didn't like it and they decided it was time to let him go. So uh, one other quick thing here, Valerie Harper passed away before season 28 started and she was a former contestant of Dancing with the Stars and she got a, a star on the floor next to Florence Henderson. At that time, only two people had passed away that had been on the show. This is Alan's first trophy, Alan the uh, Bernstein, the pro. And uh, the ratings were only down 5%. And I say only because that's good. You know, 5 to 10% is a good normal ratings drop from season to season. And what that tells me is, okay, it's stabilized. There's still a lot of issues with this show, but we stabilized now. We got Tom and Aaron back, or not that they were ever went anywhere, but Tom and Aaron are here. Um, we, we got the judges saved. 
we're implementing some things that maybe we can fix this. And I think the fans responded by saying, okay, we're going to stick around because they only lost 5%. And then, of course, uh, Tom was gone, and that was that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just finish this up here. I know we went long again today. I can't help myself. I love this show, and I love talking about it. We're going to do our last contest question here. Uh, for those of you that have been following along all season, this is it. This is the last question. We've been asking a question from the previous week's podcast, so it's an open book test. You can go back and find the answer. And what we're doing is we're giving away a trip to see Dancing with the Stars live and in person in season 31. Now, I say that. We couldn't go this year because of the COVID restrictions. They had an audience, but it was VIPs and very limited. I never got an invite to go. <laughs> But uh, I did all the procedures to get to go, but nothing came through this year. And I'm hoping against hope it's all back to normal next year and we get to go to the show. I haven't been to the show since uh, Tyra came on, so this is going to be interesting to see if it happens. Um, but if it doesn't happen, if the show gets canceled or they won't let people in again next year, there's other options. I don't want you to think you lose out if you win this thing. Uh, Derek Huff has a residency in Vegas. By the way, I don't know if you saw this, Derek Huff has tested positive. So he had to cancel his last week of, uh, or reschedule his last week of shows in Vegas. Don't know if he'll be in the ballroom or not on uh, Monday. Probably not if he's tested positive, but we'll see how that goes. Might do it remotely. Uh, anyways, uh, well, I don't know where I was going with that, but... <laughs> Uh, oh, there's other things we can do. Uh, Derek's show, I offered to take a couple past winners to Derek's show this season because we couldn't go to the show out in L.A. Uh, the Winter Tour is coming up. If you're a Winter Tour fan or a tour fan of the show, we can go to that instead if you don't want to wait till season 31. So there's other options. But if you're uh, in the contest, this is it. So you'll write down your answer along with your other. I think there's nine answers. Or we did this, not, this will be the ninth question. Just write those answers down and send them to uh, my email, dwtsp1 at yahoo.com. Okay, today's question is, last week on the show, we mentioned that a former champion of the show had set the record for the most hours practiced in the history of the show. Who was it that set that record? What contestant? And uh, that is the question of the week. Turn out the lights. The party's over. <laughs> they say that all good things must end. Call it a night. The party's over. And tomorrow and next year starts the same old thing again. Well, thank you, Don Meredith, for taking us out as you do every week. And uh, we also like to end the show, as you all know, with a song from a former contestant that's been on the show. Oh, by the way, let me give that email address one more time for the contest. It's all letters except for the last number, D-W-T-S-P, the number one, at yahoo.com. Again, brothers, sisters, everybody sing. Gonna bring the flame, I'll show you how. Got a question for you, better answer now. Yeah. Am I of course, you all know this. This is the Backstreet Boys. Again, not an individual artist, but just like last week when we had NSYNC, they've had uh, two members in the show. Uh, Backstreet Boys have the same thing. Two members of Backstreet Boys have been on the show. One, Nick Carter, season 21, 
finished in second place. Now, he wasn't going to win season 21. That was Bindi Irwin's season, and we know no one was going to be Bindi Irwin. But he was a legitimate second place finisher. Uh, you know, I haven't gone back and looked. There was a guy named Carlos Penavega that finished in fourth place, who I thought was really, really good. And uh, he might have been, you know, as good as Nick Carter. I don't know. I'd have to go back and check that out. But anyways, Nick Carter, second place, season 21, member of the Backstreet Boys. And another member is A.J. McLean, and he was just on last season, season 29, finished in seventh place. Probably about right. Uh, you know, there were a lot of quality dances, kind of middle of the road dancers last season and season 29. He could have finished anywhere from six to 10 probably. So uh, his seventh place finish was probably good. So Nick Carter, A.J. McLean, part of the Backstreet Boys. Well, once again, a very big thank you to T.C. Fleming. Uh, we've got one more show and I'll be out of his hair, <laughs> but he's allowed me to come to his home and record this thing all week and then taking care of editing and getting it out to you guys. So thank you, T.C. And of course, a big thank you to everybody listening here. Uh, I've had so much fun talking about the show. we got one more week uh, and next week is the finals. So a couple questions. Will Cody and Iman ride the fan vote to the title? I kind of think so. Uh, it's going to take a couple strange things for that not to happen. Uh, so it'll probably be Cody or Iman winning next week. But you never know. JoJo and Amanda are the two best dancers. So we hope that they uh, get lucky and maybe get some of the fan votes that uh, went to Suni and Melora who were uh, uh, eliminated last week. And if that happens and if Cody and Iman have really bad dances, which I don't think is going to happen, but if it does, who knows? Maybe JoJo or Amanda can sneak in there and win this. Uh, next week, we're going to have a shorter show. It's just going to be the results, basically. We won't have a top 10 list. We won't have a uh, 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 look back at back seasons. And, but we will have a state of the show address. So looking forward to that. We'll talk about this show that I love so much and what we can do to fix it. Till then, this is Tony the Engineer. Thanks for joining me. Bye-bye.